Dust off your best pair of sunglasses, unplug the TV and hook out the old pump-action shotgun. We're all out of gum. This is Won't Stay Dead. Welcome to the uh, second episode of Won't Stay Dead. It's a, har- a podcast about horror film and cult films. Um, and uh, with me, as always, is... Well, actually, yeah, you guys should introduce yourselves again. Yeah, I'm, I'm Dee again. Uh, I think I chose the film this week. I picked They Live. Um, and here's Paul again. Yeah, and uh, this is yeah, still Paul. And uh, <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> I'm glad that they still live <laughs> and we sleep and we sleep <laughs> yeah and I'm uh, Ian Todd and um, if you uh, weren't able to guess from that uh, uh, kind of rather shoddy intro <laughs> this week this week we're uh, looking at uh, John Carpenter's um, They Live which is uh, classic late 80s um, Regan era kind of Orwellian sci-fi starring um, former uh, WWF champ uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, yeah, so uh, we should point out at the start of the show um, that if uh, anyone's kind of wanting to get in touch with us, or if indeed you've kind of stumbled upon this and don't know where to find us, uh, we're on Twitter, and it's uh, at won't underscore stay underscore dead. Uh, and on Twitter, we're trying to do a thing where um, if you send us a comment or a question and do hashtag uh, WSD podcast. Um, then you know we'll kind of look at it during the show and uh, answer any kind of questions or respond to any criticisms or comments um, that you can kind of fit into. Is it 140 characters or something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're also on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash won't stay dead. Email uh, won't stay dead podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and you can listen to the show on SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com forward slash won't hyphen stay hyphen dead and uh, our website which is kind of um, uh, a thing that I'd kind of st- started uh, ages ago um, it's uh, won't stay dead dot wordpress dot com and um, there's kind of uh, reviews and things there uh, that you can read if you want to uh, but yeah before we kind of move on to uh, the main feature um, have you guys seen anything cool have been watching any films or done anything particularly hilarious yeah Nothing hilarious. Like uh, I went to see. I think the last film I saw was Frank. So it's not really a sci-fi or a horror film. The Frank Sidebottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially uh, a fella. Well, it's based on a real story of this comedian who like wore a massive paper mache head and played terrible music. To <laughs> but good terrible music. Well, yeah, it's good terrible music. But um, I think the way it happened in real life was they attracted crowds well they didn't even attract crowds actually the crowds that did go to see them hated them right that seemed to be the point of it but they've kind of Americanized it a bit and, yeah with uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal and yeah it's so good though it's still yeah. a really good film uh, just sort of tampered with the story a bit but on purpose yeah, yeah. I mean it, it's it's maybe a bit more is it, is it a bit more kind of positive because I know I mean he kind of uh, I don't really well for anyone that hasn't seen it I'll, I'll not give it away like um, so I'll not say too much about the actual uh, goings on in the film whether it's positive or negative apparently <laughs> he uh, 
the guy who, who was behind Frank was uh, Chris, who uh, was incredibly protective over the, the Frank mythology and mm -hmm. uh, said, John Ronson, who was the keyboard player um, <clears throat> and also the, the, the author of The Many Stereo Goats and them, uh, when he uh, told him he wanted to make a film about it, he said, well, I don't want you to give away anything about my life because I don't want it to ruin the, the Frank mythology, so they've fictionalised it. And, okay. Um, this makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I actually haven't seen the film, but I went to see John Ronson talk about it and um, uh, about about three or four weeks ago. And uh, he's, he's a really interesting guy. He's a st strange guy, very, very nice, very very affable but seems to get himself into all these, these bizarre situations like playing playing keyboard for Frank Sidebottom or <laughs> um find himself in a in an oil sanctuary with Alex Jones, the sort of um, the Welsh uh, the no the um, radio talk show radio shock jock um who is trying to destroy the establishment. Um oh, yeah, and, like to uh, mention again actually. <laughs> maybe yes, exactly. Um and uh, they were trying to uncover Bilderberg um, which the, they Sort of did, but it wasn't the secret that. What's Bilderberg? Bilderberg is the the sort of secretive organization that um, people, some people say, rules the world from behind the behind the scenes, and uh, the likes of Tony Blair goes there, and um, the Bushes go there, and Reagan, I think, goes. Mm. And where a lot of um, yeah, a lot of uh, big powerful people meet every year in the Bilderberg um, uh, group, and it's I think they met in an oil sanctuary when uh, John Ronson went there but he said there were big effigies of oils everywhere uh, which made sense because it was an oil sanctuary but Alex Jones thought this read into this too much and decided this was because uh, they were worshipping a an oil god from <laughs> from <laughs> Egyptian times well so uh, who doesn't which, oh he doesn't exactly <laughs> yeah um, but he's he's an interesting guy that uh, I mean that, that does kind of fit in quite well with you know the film we're going to be discussing later on the whole Illuminati thing. I think yeah. I think there was a picture, a, f a few pictures someone put on Facebook. I can't remember who did it, but it was um, of that from like the nineteen seventies, one of those big meetings, right? <clears throat> and it was like you know um, Joan Crawford or someone like that, mm -hmm. um, Elizabeth Taylor or someone. It was people like people like that. Um, but yeah, the whole thing's weird. It is. <laughs> I wonder are they actually uh, lizards or? I think uh, most definitely mind controlling yeah. aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, cool. Uh, I haven't really watched much, but I did get the uh, Arrow um, limited edition tin disc Blu-ray of the two uh, Demons films. Oh, okay. The oh. Lamberto Bava films, <laughs> Demons, yeah. Demons, and D Demons and Demons Two. Uh, haven't watched it yet, but pretty excited because we were kind of talking last time about Return of the Living Dead and how it's benefited from the Blu-ray print because it's so colourful, and I think Demons is kind of the same. It kind of, uh, I mean, it's directed by Lamberto Bavo, but I think uh, Dario Argento, he produced it, which I think just generally means gave money to, doesn't it? Yeah. I think so. Um, but it, it does kind of carry Argento's style, I think, because it is kind of, um, there's lots of kind of colours, and obviously the gore is quite quite stylized and kind of, you know, shining blades and things like that. Yeah. But I'm really looking forward to the Blu-ray presentation, because I think it'll really benefit from it, you know, that kind of... Could be uh, interesting. But it could yeah. show up some of the makeup, possibly, as well. Yeah. You know, just <clears throat> highlight where, you know, it starts and ends on people's faces and things like that, but... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, th I think the, the guy who did makeup for Demons was a guy called S S Sergio Stivaletti, who's kind of a bit of a legend in uh, Italian horror films uh, as a makeup artist. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming his stuff will kind of hold up to you know the scrutiny of Blu-ray. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, I kind of intended to watch it, but um, before this, so I could actually talk about it. But between watching They Live and getting other stuff done, I just didn't get a chance. But yeah, <laughs> have you seen Demons at all? I have a long time ago. Yeah, and I actually. I used to get always confused with Ghoulies. Have you ever seen Ghoulies? Ghoulies? Don't think so. Ghoulies is pretty, pretty, well, pretty bad, but um, it's it's got it's got its definitely got its benefits. Um, it's so shit looking that it's it's almost irresistible. <laughs> is it is it like a kind of monster monster movie little, or little plasticine? They're not meant to be plasticine, but they're obviously plasticine. <laughs> little plasticine monsters that uh, that. Uh, torture these people in, in a house and they're, they're maybe about the size of an action man um, <laughs> and they just have all sort of weird plasticky features and um, look like yeah look like some of my kids made them is it like critters <laughs> it's a little bit like critters but they're uh, they they all look different they're they're from hell rather than aliens I think they're from hell from <laughs> right. what I remember but uh, I think I watched demons around the same time as that so in my mind they Okay. The plots sort of um, uh, um, sort of crossover. Yeah, do you remember Demons is the one where they 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 go to the cinema. There's this guy just handing out free tickets to yeah, the cinema yeah, showing. That's right. And it's this horrendous horror film. Um, and then basically at one stage, I can't remember. I can't actually remember now if anything makes this happen. But at one stage, the demons from the cinema, the, the demons it's from the, the movie, the film, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they kind of come out of the, yeah. of, the of the screen. Is it something? Does someone like nick themselves on like? Yeah, there's like a, <clears throat> a mask or something. Like yeah, that, there's like or? a big mask in the uh, foyer, uh, and one of the um, there's um, uh, a, one of the groups is uh, a a guy uh, like a pimp and his two prostitutes, <laughs> and one of them I think nicks herself. She puts it on, and the mask is actually a kind of nod to um, Lamberto Bava's dad, Mario Bava. He was a kind of really famous uh, Italian horror mm-hmm. film director and he had a film called Black Sunday uh, in which there's like a, this kind of mask that they use to kind of torture and kill people and I think it's kind of a nod to that. Right, okay. okay. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I think um, she nicks herself with the mask and then she has to go to the toilet and then the, the cut, I think, turns into a big kind of bulging green thing <laughs> yeah. which explodes and actually causes gag reflex and most, most people who watch it... <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So, it, uh, um, it sort of reminds me on a, on a really tenuous note. It sort of reminds me of uh, one of the Amityville films. Uh, there might be Amityville Three, um, where the the satanic spirit goes into a lamp through uh, <laughs> the last thing left plugged in in the house. It goes into a lamp, and then somebody pricks themselves in a lamp and gets like super tetanus and uh, <laughs> and, and dies. And then uh, the rest of the time, it's just people being haunted by this. This evil lamp. Class. <laughs> An evil lamp. <laughs> yeah. Some some burger like. Um yeah, so from ghoulies and demons to uh aliens. Aliens and suits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um as uh, as uh just the same as last last week I've kind of put together a wee compilation, so we'll have a listen to that and then regroup and talk a bit about they live. Yeah, excellent. Cool. Our impulses are being redirected. We are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. 
is definitely there. It's a new morning in America. Fresh, vital. The old cynicism is gone. There ain't no countries anymore. No more good guys. They're running the whole show. They own everything, the whole goddamn planet. They can do whatever they want. The poor and the underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. They have created a repressive society, and we are their unwitting accomplices. You know, you look like your head fell on the cheese dip back in 1957. No, you're okay. This one, real fucking ugly. Our projections show that by the year 2025, not only America, but the entire planet will be under the protection and the dominion of this power alliance. The gains have been substantial, both for ourselves and for you. The human power elite. The golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rule. They close one more factory, we should take a sledge to one of their fancy fucking foreign cars. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble. So, yeah, some pretty um, uh, memorable lines, actually, from the film. And if you listen to that back, um, some pretty good kind of leftist propaganda from a lot of those kind of lines. Some bizarre uh, lines as well. Really. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, before we kind of start talking about it, uh, every week, um, every every episode, we uh, are going to try and drink booze that is related to the film in some way, um, even if it's kind of tenuous uh, thing because I suppose you know for like a an American film there's you know a plethora of different things but I mean if we're ever covering an Iranian film we'll we'll have to be a bit uh, inventive drink a shitload of tea um, but luckily this 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 uh, episode it's uh, America um, and uh, they live so uh, yeah Paul do you want to tell us what you brought okay well <clears throat> uh, my first one. Is uh, it's uh, an enhanced radio by Williams Brothers uh, called Paradigm Shift, um, which was chosen because there are some there's some serious paradigm shifting goes on throughout the course of this movie. Um, the second one is much more tenuous. Chosen, I'd like to say I chose it for uh, for this reason, but actually I chose it because I really liked it. Um, and uh, last time I mispronounced mispronounced it. And uh, nicknamed it uh, the political eel, and it's a political film in a way. So, the Kinnegar, <laughs> Limeburner, Peel Eel, which I mispronounced as Finnegill, the political eel. <laughs> um, but also, we were commenting, it's kind of got like a slightly deeper than sky blue label. It does, yeah, yeah. And I sort of thought that their faces looked, uh, the faces of the aliens looked like uh, sort of burned up limes. <laughs> burned up limes? <laughs> so, um, so, Limeburner, Peel Eel. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> that's where that's where I got that from. Genius. <laughs> you go home and burn limes just to <laughs> yeah. test this. You, can get, yeah, you haven't had a 
<laughs> I haven't seen a film to get burned alive. Uh, that sounds like a euphemism for like taking a pee. <laughs> yeah, burn a lime. I'm worried to burn a lime, lads. Um, but also, your uh, paradigm shift beer is Williams Brothers, and they're it Sco- is. and they're Scottish. They're Scottish, yeah, exactly. And uh, well, that ties in with uh, Ian's choice. So I'll let you explain his because he came came to this long before I did. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, Dee and I have just drank there a um, oh, uh, Caesar Augustus, which is a hybrid IPA from Williams Brothers, the same uh, brewery, so I got that uh, because it's Scottish, um, and we're also drinking uh, Laphroaig, 10-year-old ten, Laphroaig, which is a um, single malt whiskey um, produced on the island of Isla, uh, off the west coast of Scotland. Uh, Scot- Scottish, obviously, because uh, the main uh, character, Nada, is played by Roddy Roddy Piper, who is a Canadian wrestler, actually. <laughs> um, but uh, his whole get-up was, you know, Scottish stuff and Scotland. And I think he did actually spend... I think he did actually live in, in um, Glasgow for a while. But his, his character, you know, his, his wrestling character was from was from Glasgow, Scotland. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were, we were able to get some nice Scottish beers, which is good because um, Scottish beer is uh, pretty good these days. It is indeed. Uh, and I've also got some Sainsbury's, uh, which is a local supermarket. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, US craft beer. Um, some Goose, Goose Island uh, India Pale Ale, which is from Chicago. And Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, uh, which is also from Chicago. Uh, and because the film is set in Los Angeles, which is in California... Unless I've made a big mistake, we've got some uh, Zinfandel uh, Californian red wine. So we've got whiskey and beer and wine. Dee, what did you bring? Uh, okay, uh, I brought uh, mass-produced crap. So I've got uh, desperados. Right. But the reason for uh, well, the only reason I I could think of picking this is because well. His second name's Nada in the film, which is, you know, obviously a Spanish kind of name. And he's also a drifter, and he's a bit desperate. <laughs> Brilliant. That's <laughs> that good. Works. That's what I came up with. I like, this, I like the Spanish link. Um, I also picked Liberty Ale, which is another, well, it's San Francisco, but close enough for me. Um, <laughs> it's, but also just more, more so the name, um, Liberty Ale, because the whole film's about, you know, the true cause of freedom, <laughs> yeah, and how you say it. And I also picked Pat's Blue Ribbon because it's the beer of the working man in America. Yes. So that's what I kind of went for. Nice. My three choices. Great. Yeah, yeah they're good. <laughs> okay, good choices. So they live. Um, it was a while since I'd kind of watched it. I think I I was first shown it um by my uncle Michael, my mum's brother, when I was um a kid. And probably as this series goes on, um, anyone who kind of listens regularly will probably hear about my my uncle Michael quite a lot because he was the <laughs> person who introduced me to horror films, specifically actually John Carpenter films. Um, the, the the first kind of films I remember watching at his house were um, Halloween, Big Trouble in Little, in Little China, The Thing, and They Live. Um, so it had been a, wee, a while since I'd, I'd watched it. I think the last time I'd watched it was a few years ago on my old kind of VHS copy. But considering we were covering it, I decided to get it on DVD. It was only like a fiver online. Um, and it was great watching it again. And it was good watching it uh, in a Blu-ray player with um, uh, like an HDTV because it kind of uh, upgrades it. And um, you kind of forget how much of the, the film is actually shot in light and how kind of 
how, how, how much it is actually shot in daylight and how kind of good it actually looks. You know, it's it's kind of nice weather. It's California. It kind of looks it looks nice on the kind of high definition. But um, yeah, like was it a film that you guys remember growing up with or? Uh, yeah, I think I saw it when I was quite young, but um, when it came to like me watching it, though, like my parents would never let me watch stuff like that, so I'm pretty sure I watched it. It's like quite late in the well, early in the or, you know early morning hours kind of thing, late at night uh, in the room, and it was the first time I'd ever seen it, and I was completely blown away by it at the time. Like I think it was maybe like twelve or thirteen, I think, when I saw it. So. I think um, I think I. I'm not sure what age it was, maybe about eight or nine, um, and I watched it with my. I'm pretty sure I watched it with my cousins who were we were big fans of um, Big Trouble in Little China, and um, <clears throat> yeah, so we I think we watched it in a similar vein, and I'm sure it went completely over my head then, but uh, <laughs> there's a there's a lot <laughs> a lot to take in um, um, of this movie, so yeah, I, it bypassed me then. I I think I mostly forgot about it. Um, but I was I really enjoyed watching it again. Although I had the problem, I didn't buy it on DVD. I watched it on YouTube, um, on my TV, which <laughs> made it look terrible. So I had to watch yeah. it on my phone then again. So, <laughs> um, it looked much better on my phone, but um, uh, yeah, I think I, I should have I should have splodged on a fiber. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I was I, I was kind of similar. I think I mean I watched it when I was quite young, so I was far too young to pick up on the whole kind of anti-capitalist, anti-consumerist mm-hmm. um, yeah. sentiment. You know, it was just, there were these bad guys, um, and, you know, they're aliens, and they're kind of, you know, controlling mankind, but you're probably kind of too young, because, you know, you, you, don't, you don't earn a wage or pay taxes or yeah. use public transport, so, when you're that age, so... You're not fed yeah. up with life by that stage. Yeah. yeah, it hasn't completely utterly ground you down. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there was, I mean, there was a thing that I n- noticed watching it back that I had never noticed before, and it's that basically anyone who is in any way good or humble or poor or poor or a nice person is a human, mm-hmm. and basically anyone who is an alien is like a yuppie, yeah. self-centered twat. Yeah. There aren't any or a policeman, yeah, or a policeman, yeah, and even the kind of um, human cops are kind of portrayed as good. Yeah. Uh, you know, and like Nada doesn't shoot them. Yeah. Um. So, uh, it is kind of uh, that, that that type of thing. Um. That th- I I kind of, I kind of suddenly noticed this. You know that it was, and it's it's kind of just obviously something that you know I didn't uh, notice at all when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I suppose like well, could be a possible counter argument to that, but I'm not too sure if it is. Like, there's um, there's a character at the start of the film. I think he's in like the kind of the shanty town that uh, Roddy Piper discovers, you know, when he's at the start of the film, once he gets the job and his, that guy Frank shows him where this place is. There's a wee, like, he's another homeless fella, but he's the one watching the TV, he's tuning into the signal. I think at the time, like, you know, it doesn't really display what his character is, but then later on you kind of find out that he's bought into the whole thing as well. You know, he's been bought off by the aliens, mm-hmm. but yeah, it doesn't really tell you why at the time, but you can kind of figure out that maybe he sells them out at one stage, possibly. yeah. yeah. But maybe maybe you're right in that regard then. Yeah. Do you like do you, do you think um, because it, it was actually that that was another thing that I never noticed. I never ever noticed that when any time I've watched it, it's um, I think the guy is called George Buck Flower is the mm-hmm. um, is the actor, and he was in a, a few other Carpenter films I think. Um, but he's the guy who plays the kind of uh, whenever Nat is kind of watching these two drifters watching 
the TV outside in the shanty town. Um, he's he's the guy later on who approaches them whenever they go down into the bunker. Yeah. He's the guy yeah. in, in the tux. Yeah. Oh, that's what and, I mean. Like yeah. He's the, yeah. He's the sellout. The yeah. Room. And the, yeah. The, the, I, I wondered was he an informer to begin with? Yes. Well, was this he, is, um, but like, was it immediately apparent apparent to you guys? No, no. no it took me it took me a long time to work out how they knew this guy already. Yeah. Um, I I thought maybe it was because I was watching on such a shitty quality. Uh, yeah. Uh, TV, but um, yeah, it, it did take me a while to connect the dots because they don't make it obvious. Um, no, it, it's not like oh, hi, guy from the shanty town. Yeah, it's just yeah. like he just starts going, "Hey, boys!" <laughs> yeah, and then they yeah. just kind of follow him about. It's not it's not really referenced. Yeah. But um, so we, what, what I was going to ask is, um, do you think whenever they first meet him and he is just sitting on a on a couch in a shanty town watching a TV, do you think that's prior to him joining up, or do you think then he's joined up and he's kind of in, infiltrating the? Um, maybe it was him that gave away the. Uh, he he spends a lot of energy disparaging everything that basically on the TV. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it on the TV, um, uh, these guys keep interfering with the the channel to try and bring you the truth, and uh, that the TV is, um, is messing with everybody's minds, creating an illusion that prevents us from seeing the aliens. Uh, when these guys appear in the TV, Buck Flower, um quickly turn gets up and tries to turn the channel and disparages everything they Blow say. Blow it out your ass. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I think I got the impression he was maybe he had been turned already, and uh, he was trying to trying to yeah dissipate the yeah because the sort of revolution. He does also make a comment. He says something like he's kind of ex- everyone's kind of worried because because there is a sense of foreboding in the in the setting, mm-hmm. and he, I think he kind of says something like, "Oh, it's just this just happens every now and then." Yeah, at the turn yeah, of every century. Yeah, century. Yeah, at the turn of century yeah, this just right. happens. So I'd never thought of that that's a good point, Paul. Maybe he. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that stage, he already is an informer. Yeah. He's trying to go. Ah, oh, don't worry about it, lads. We're okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, he's he, he's an interesting actor because like I I knew I'd seen him somewhere before, and he he plays the bum in Back to the Future Part Two. Oh right, okay. okay. Mm. I think Sorry it's whenever the guy they whenever, wake up and he's sleeping on the bench, and I th- I think so. It's whenever he goes back to when he goes to the future, and like his mum's married to um, Biff. And Biff mm-hmm. owns everything because Biff's got the sports almanac. Yeah, I think when Marty first arrives, there's a is he the guy who goes crazy drunk pedestrian? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Is he that guy? I don't know. He might be, but that that would that would be really interesting if he was. Is, is he's not in Escape from New York, is he? Like at all? He might be. He could well be. I think he might be, but I'm not entirely sure. Is just the face kind of seems familiar now that you say that he's been in yeah. other things before, but. Um, he plays uh, Detective Stone in The Witch Who Came from the Sea. Did you guys ever see the witch who came from the sea? No, no. <laughs> never even heard of it. <laughs> it was a it was a video nasty. It, right, it, it, was, okay. it was caught up on the whole video nasty thing, but it's actually kind of like a an art house kind yeah. of film. It's not really it's not really a horror film. There's there's one scene where this woman kind of tricks these two guys. She think they, into thinking they're going to have a threesome with her, and then she ends up like tying them up and cutting cutting off their genitalia. It's, like, <laughs> okay. it's kind of like a feminist yeah. art yeah, house yeah, yeah. Okay. type film. So he's in that, and he was in. Um, at least two of the Ilsa films. Did you ever hear of the Ilsa films? No. Yeah. And like Il- Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS. Yeah, yeah. There were these kind of like um, Nazi exploitation films that were kind of quite popular in the 70s and 80s. They were kind of made by um, mostly Italian um, companies and it's just kind of like eroticised Nazi torture <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> so he was in some of that stuff and apparently he was, he was in some kind of like other kind of porno films and soft core <laughs> yeah. films. I'm not sure if he was a performer or just, you know, like an extra or yeah. everything. Yeah. Sure. But he, oh, he's in The Fog. Right. Oh, the John Carpenter. Yeah, the John Carpenter ah, film, okay. The Fog. He plays Tommy Wallace, who's one of the drunk crewmen. Do you remember at the start? 
the um, the kind of ghost pirates. Um, the fog surrounds this ship yeah. that's out, and all the everyone's just getting hammered, uh-huh. and then yeah. they all get kind of slashed up. He's, okay, yeah. He's one of the he's one of the um, crewmen. But so so <laughs> he he might be in Escape from New York because that's say, two yeah. John Carpenter films he's been in. Yeah. yeah, I suppose like he's used. Uh, he's got a record of using actors he's used before, I guess. So. Yeah, like even the guy that plays Frank in this. Like he was yeah. in the thing. Yeah, he was Childs. Yeah, um, um, and obviously, well, not in this film, but he's used Kurt Russell on like numerous occasions mm-hmm. like, yeah. as well. Escape from New York, Big yeah. Trouble in Little China, and the thing. Yeah, yeah. But it's a strange thing as well, like why he didn't decide to use Kurt Russell in this. Not saying he should have, but uh, he's essentially gone for the same sort of yeah, exactly the same kind of guy. <laughs> but I mean, anyway. Roddy Roddy Piper's a lot more buff, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot more rugged, a lot more beefy than mm. Kurt Russell like you see it um, in the scene where he finally gets work on the construction site right. and he takes yeah, off his top but yeah. I mean he's, time, he's pretty ripped like it's, and then. Kurt Russell's like sort of he's the sort of actor you think of when you're looking for someone rugged so mm. you know you always think of Snake yeah and you're looking for an everyman and Kurt Russell has that well not a realistic everyman but a, a John Carpenter kind of everyman he's, yeah. he's the, the epitome of everyman yeah. in John Carpenter universe but uh, do you think maybe Roddy Piper's a bit too polished Roddy Piper seems a Bit polished, a bit, uh, a bit like a, just a really, really aggressive surfer. See, <laughs> <laughs> man. But at the same time, I, and I think it was a good choice in the end, though. Like, um, yeah, similar, similar sort of character to Kurt Russell, in the way, like you know, he's been portrayed in this, you know, as the character in the film. But uh, it certainly the benefited from the wrestling, you know, that particular, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That particular fight scene. I, I mean, think in a film this strange. You, you sort of have to think well, well why why the hell not like I mean, yeah. of course they should have Roddy Roddy Piper like they yeah. should uh... and especially the one-liners yeah the yeah. one-liners are I amazing mean, and uh, apparently yeah. like a lot like um, a, a lot of the stuff like uh, specifically uh, I've come here to chew bubble going kick ass that was in uh, Roddy Piper gave John Carpenter his notes yeah. Uh, yeah. from when he was a wrestler all the things he'd kind of written down that he might say you know during when they do those kind of interviews backstage at the at WWE WWF yeah. <laughs> uh, and that was one of the things was I've come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out of all out of gum. Yeah. He's got he's got some other amazing uh, one liners. Well, kind of terrible one liners from from the film. But from the yeah. film, um, like brother, life's a bitch and she's back, back in heat. <laughs> <laughs> I um, like that we won't beat your feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The There's that, and I'm giving you a choice: either put your put these glasses on or start eating that trash can. <laughs> <laughs> And the golden rule, or sorry, Frank actually says the golden rule, who, he who has the gold makes the rules, is another yeah. kind of clever quip, but not really that clever. Yeah. Uh, in the director's commentary, they, they, um, Roddy Piper reminds uh, John Carpenter, he's actually forgotten this, but do you remember whenever that bit where he says, beat your feet? Mm-hmm. Apparently the actor playing the cop didn't know what beat your feet meant and just started running on the spot. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so they had to okay. do another take and explain to him, no, that, mean, that means run away. <laughs> well, that happened in the last film we watched, uh, it was Return of the Living Dead, wasn't it? One of the actresses didn't know what, what ch- ch- uh, choking your chicken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Jules Shepard. Yeah. <laughs> Strange. Like, Playing but... Casey. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So, some of the one-liners are brilliant, and and that's the thing. And his kind of his presence, how how big he is, and how he looks with the shades and his blonde hair. I mean, I I think it really suits suits it. I think it makes it like a cartoon. Yeah, because yeah. they live is a bit like. And I think maybe you know, Kurt Russell, he wouldn't have been as big. He doesn't have the big kind of blonde hair. He doesn't have the kind of you know square chin. You know, it'd be mm-hmm. like um, the, yeah. the equivalent might be like Bruce Campbell. Can you imagine? 
Bruce, anyone else but Bruce Campbell playing Ash from yeah, Evil Dead. True, you know? true. I, yeah, I think that's another good thing about him being the actor for it. Like, he's not particularly handsome or anything, so, which is what I quite liked about it. You know, you don't have that sort of, like, as you say, chiseled kind of jaw kind of thing. This guy who's clearly been beaten up a few times yeah. in his life, you know, which is good to say. <coughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, talking about the commentary, I haven't ever seen the commentary. I've heard it's a bit. Well, I've heard it's good, but it gets a bit nutty at one stage. With, uh, I don't uh, know. Piper. I only got about half halfway through it. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it seems nice. Like they're they're both kind of nice people, and they both they, they both keep kind of commenting on um, how much that you know the kind of. Themes and subjects that are explored and they live are kind of coming true. Like at one point, whenever they're watching the TV, the the bums are watching the TV, <clears throat> and it's kind of this stuff coming in, um, and all the kind of subliminal messaging and you know Roddy Piper and the uh, advertising boards and Roddy Piper kind of says you know that's true you know all the all the yeah. kind of subliminal messaging and stuff that you know actually mm-hmm. is now illegal because companies were using that so. The com- I kind of enjoyed the commentary. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I've heard it's good, but um, I think maybe you didn't get to the part. But I've heard he also at one point uh, exclaims that it's it's a documentary, right? <laughs> like you know, rather than just being a sort of literary analogy to anything, right? <laughs> yeah. And apparently, John, because like, I haven't seen this, can't really comment on whether this is true or not. But apparently, John Carpenter sounds quite embarrassed, like you oh, know, right. sitting beside him while he's saying all this stuff. <laughs> Because <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. he's well, like, because you brought up Alex Jones earlier. Yeah, yeah. Roddy Piper's guested on his show before. Oh, really? Yeah, right. Okay. So. <laughs> well, and that's the, obviously talk about they live. <laughs> yeah, and and how well it's it's loved by all those like uh, nutcases. I could I could see why. It, it actually it seems like um, it it seems like David Icke has based his his whole philosophy on mm-hmm. on just the premise of this film. You know, I um. If uh, if anybody listening isn't familiar with David Icke, he's definitely <laughs> worth checking out. He uh, <laughs> believes that the the world and a lot of famous people are ten foot lizards. Is it ten I foot think lizards? yeah. Well, they're all shape shifting. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, the Queen uh, <laughs> Willie Nelson, I think, um, is uh, supposedly a lizard. <laughs> Beyonce, I think. Beyonce, Beyonce. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's, it's obvious that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When the Jimmy Savile stuff came out, um, David Icke said that um, he claimed that Jimmy Savile and all those TV presenters um, were friends with with the royal family and like the current right. royal, the current royal family, Queen Elizabeth II, Prince Charles, all them. They all um, regularly have orgies where they rape kids and stuff. Jesus. So uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> He's. Uh, I, I actually once saw uh, saw a documentary coming on TV. Uh, you know, it was about to come on in ten minutes. And it was called Was David Ike Right? And I thought this could be <laughs> no. this could be interesting. Um and uh, of course the credits came up and it had all these extraordinary claims from David Ike and uh and the end I said, Was he right? And then of course the presenter turns around and he goes, Hi, I'm David Ike and yes I was and uh, he <laughs> proceeds to talk about how right he was for an hour, so it was it was uh, a little shit. Right. <laughs> and it, he has cited David before, like he's given talks. Like weirdly, like he does like tours of the country and stuff yeah. as well. And yeah. they all sell out. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but he's like he's actually used they live as an example of really? his yeah, yeah. his belief system as well. And obviously he takes that film incredibly like literally. literally yeah, which is yeah. the scary thing about it. Well, he 
he sort of made all these, started making all these bizarre claims. Maybe round about the same, maybe shortly after they live. Came out, I mean, it was 1988. Um, when did he start his, his campaign of... of I have no idea. Like Israel, no, but I know he was on the Wogan show. That's when he first yeah, and I came across that he was the son of God. Yeah, <laughs> and he was. Oh, I'd forgotten that he said that. Yeah, he sort of backtracked on that one. Very strange character. But, um, <laughs> Who yeah. is he? Like, is he an academic? Is he a professor? No, no, he, he used was... to present uh, grandstands. Yeah, he, so he just did, Yeah, so he just did the scores <laughs> on a Saturday for the football matches. Yeah, he was actually a goalkeeper. Right. I can't remember what yeah. team he played for, but he got injured early on in his career. Right. So just became a sports presenter. Yeah. And then used to read out the scores on grandstand and then yeah. one, like one day just kinda of snapped and thought it was the son of God. <laughs> yeah. And went on the Wogan show where he was widely ridiculed and then I think he changed his mind and said he wasn't the son of God anymore. Yeah. And then just started believing in all the lizards. Yeah. <laughs> and how they've taken over the world. <laughs> yeah, and don't they live like on the <laughs> the, the the world's actually hollow and uh, it's outer crust we live on the outside and the shapeshifters live on the inside yeah, yeah, something and like that, their yeah. their gravity is the opposite way to ours <laughs> yeah so they live on they, they live in basically just under our feet basically. does that even work as a scientific theory <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think like it does yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I suppose like conversely as well um, if you've ever seen the Zizek sort of stuff about they live no uh, which I think is way more dead on than any sort of well David Icke type analysis yeah. of the film and how he brings up the whole ideology aspect of they live and basically how ideology works as a background kind of thing you partake in it all the time but you don't know that you are partaking in it yeah that's like the like yeah. Uh, yeah essentially like, um, yeah. and how the uh, I can't remember the phrase he uses for the, the sunglasses you know that they discover in they live so basically when Roddy Piper first finds these sunglasses and, you know, he puts them on, you can see true reality or whatever. That's kind of the Zizek analysis of the whole thing. Yeah, but so anybody that hasn't seen the Zizek documentary um, where he talks about They Live, I'd recommend watching it. It's even just the first 10 minutes, I think. Um, you can watch it on YouTube as well, but it's called uh, it's the, the Perfect's Guide to Ideology. So it's, it's worth checking out, especially uh, in respect to David Icke's Sort of beliefs on the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he does this nice, sort of um, <laughs> this nice sort of uh, camera trickery of him being in the movie or sitting sitting in into the sort of scenery of the movie as well, which is, I mean, has nothing to do with his ideology, but it's, uh, it's a nice <laughs> little touch for the documentary as well. But um, yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I liked hearing his his sensible sort of analogy analysis of it as well, yeah. um, which makes a lot more sense than conspiracy theorists who think this is actually going on in a in a physical sense rather than a, yeah. an ideological sense i think that's what like i'd never understand about those fellows is there's not really much of a conspiracy it's quite transparent you know? yeah yeah of course and yeah. that that it works on a much more powerful level um, yeah. i mean the idea of there being a, an alien conspiracy um that we must rebel against is it sort of detracts from the actual problem which is yeah. the fact that you're letting yourself be you know become lazy and neglect your neglect your freedoms and uh, you know it's uh, you get totally wrapped up in this fantasy world of yeah. fighting aliens you you know you lose perspective on the actual problems you know yeah. social problems and yeah exactly um yeah like rather than kind of saying what's what's actually wrong with our society that 
you know, it's just advertising after advertising after advertising and, yeah, kind of, you know, really unequal distribution of wealth rather than kind of concentrating on those problems and working on what you can do about that. They're kind yeah. of going, but how, but how can we beat these aliens that are one day yeah, going exactly. <laughs> to rise up? And Zizek sort of talks about that as well, but how it's, it's much easier to sort of, it's much easier to look at it that way. It's much easier. It's painful to actually face the reality of, yeah. um, um, of all these problems. You know, you're, You'd rather not wear the sunglasses, I mean, you'd you'd rather, um, yeah, you fight. You re- resisted to the very end. That's he's, that's why he talked about the the giant yeah. fight scene, which yeah. is yeah, we'll talk about later on anyway. Exactly. But uh, how he resisted for about six minutes or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they beat the shit out of each other and they crunch each other in the face and the, the groin and stuff, yeah. and still still won't put on the the sunglasses because yeah. it's it's something you don't want to accept. What I find yeah. that interesting about his character, the guy Frank, who's resisting, um, at the start of the film, whenever Yuman uh, uh, Nada's character, or well, Roddy Piper's character, um, sort of like first meets him at the you know the work site. Yeah. And I think I can't remember exactly what it is Frank says, but it's something to do. You know, he's given off about society, and like you know, he says that thing about you know your foreign cars and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but, but Roddy Piper's saying stuff like, "Oh, you know, I just want to get a fair break in life." Yeah, I believe in America. And... It, it it is yeah. really um, it like you do really really notice that um, uh, Frank is kind of um, talk as you say, kind of talking about you know smashing things up and and actually doing something about it, but uh, then they flip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Nat is kind of almost that. He's almost like the personification of the American dream. You know, just like just give it a bit of patience. <laughs> Every, yeah. Everyone gets a chance. Every, everyone has the chance to make it. Um, which which is why it's weird that whenever uh, Nada starts kind of poking his nose in, um, that Frank's kind of just leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business. It ain't none of your business. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you kind of think, you know, he. He's the one, uh, Nat is the one who actually um, believes in the system, and yet he's the one who wants to kind of infiltrate this, you know, uh, resistance organization and find out what's actually going on. Um, yeah. But I suppose, I mean, I, I, I suppose uh, Frank just kind of represents that frustration that everyone else has. It's kind of like, you would love to do something about, you know, poor people, you are, you know, kind of like an oppressive police force or, you know, like a, kind of a government that's not ruling to the best interest of the majority of people. But <clears throat> chances are, if you do anything, you're going to go to jail. Yeah. And then you you won't see your family and kids and you won't be able to get a job again. And, you know, yeah. that's kind of... Because Frank continuously says, I don't want anything to do with this. I've got a wife and kids. That's kind of his main yeah. thing. I've got a wife and kids. I just want to keep my I head down. Yeah. I love the way that one of the signs says, like, marry and reproduce as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the ideal that he's trying to protect as that's well. That's right. It's funny when... Um, when Nada, who is Roddy Piper's character, when he he does put on the sunglasses, um, he uh, he starts everything is revealed to him. The truth is revealed, and it takes a couple of minutes, and then somebody insults him at a newspaper stand, and within maybe <laughs> about forty seconds of somebody insulting him at a newspaper stand, he shoots up a bank. <laughs> 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 totally loses it. He's obviously on on the brink of something anyway because yeah, it's it's instantaneous. <clears throat> he. No, no gradual sort of decline into madness or anger. It's just, I'm going to kill these fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got. To, I can't remember where he even gets the gun. Uh, the cops <laughs> and the police. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like it's like uh, one of them. Well, says, oh, he's he can see or whatever into yeah, the yeah. I've got one that yeah. can see. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the corner him because the police come along, corner him in an alley, and then he yeah. 
gets the well the first gun off one of them and then takes their shotgun as well yeah, yeah. and walks immediately into a bank and I know yeah. and that's that <laughs> I think that's the most brutal scene as well it's where he kills one of the aliens in black and white behind it's one of yeah. the tellers or something yeah that's right yeah behind the counter and even though it's in black and white it's just because he shoots them in the head and you see the yeah, blood splatter yeah. <laughs> yeah it is, it is. Um, it is and then that's room. that's another thing about Frank about Frank's character you know the, uh, almost immediately after that happens uh, Nana turns up uh, on the building site and uh, he goes to talk to Frank and Frank says no I don't want to talk to you how many people did you kill nine people <laughs> they weren't people <laughs> they weren't people and Frank is like <laughs> ah, get out of here as if <laughs> yeah. as if he just like you know insulted or pushed a granny or something yeah. you know done something yeah. something bad that you know makes him a bit of a pariah that's not you know I need to call the police <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then Frank decides to give him the benefit of the doubt anyway even though this guy he met the day before has now killed nine people Frank's yeah, like, I'd love to know the conversation that Frank got into where he was able to give him the money he got from his job. Get the wages. Or, remember yeah. that guy, uh, you probably remember him because he was on TV because he murdered loads of people. <laughs> yeah. uh, can <laughs> I have his money? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to find him and give him his, 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 his wages. <laughs> but it's right, he's, he's kind of like, uh, he just says... Um, you, you better crawl away and hope nobody ever finds you. And it's like, what? Well, so you actually want someone who's just killed, just gunned down 15 people in cold blood? <laughs> yeah. You want them just to disappear and never be found? <laughs> Rather than going, yeah. fuck! I'm going to ring this, I'm going to ring the police straight away and tell them where this crazy guy is. <laughs> Frank is, uh, Frank's maybe the, the worst character in that. The, the guy who doesn't understand the truth, but is all right with, with slaughter. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. He's all right with like he just he just wants to keep his head down. He's like, yeah. I don't want to be I don't want to be bothered by the government. I don't want to be bothered by having to be a responsible citizen and, and report that I've seen someone who's just killed a bunch <laughs> yeah. of people. I, I just I've got a wife and kids. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. He does suddenly flip like, uh, especially when they go on the rampage of the television studio. Oh, well. Yeah, I love that bit. Well, it's really good, but it's just like as you say, he didn't want to get involved before, and then all of a sudden he's joined a terrorists network. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, he's willing to die for his cause. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I like, I, I don't know if it's kind of um, just because at that stage, I think like an hour, the, an hour of the film has gone by, and it needs to kind of get, kind of wrap it, wrap it up in the next half an hour. But as soon as uh, Frank does eventually get the glasses on. Because, like, Nada kind of, it takes, you know, there's maybe about five, ten minutes scene of him just constantly putting on his glasses, taking them off, going, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Before he flips, whereas Frank's just like, oh, so aliens are in charge of everything. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably, like, maybe, like, because uh, it's a film as well, I, I kind of think the fight scene serves as some sort of interpretation of he's slowly beaten down. Well, yeah, well it happens kind of, quickly in that. That's yeah. kind of what, what Paul was saying. Yeah, so he, he has slowly beaten into that kind of. Uh, view of life yeah it, take, it takes a long time to get someone to open their eyes and see how things actually are but yeah. um yeah, like beach receptivity into him or something yeah like exactly and um just strange I, lo- I, I love the bit where he does the suplex oh yeah that's just brilliant isn't it I mean <laughs> yeah. R- R- Roddy Roddy Piper fans watching the film must have just cheered when they saw him yeah. do an actual <laughs> suplex he does a clothesline as well I noticed on one of the points yeah, yeah. yeah. clothesline from the cops <laughs> but the interesting thing was because um Keith David, who plays uh, Frank, and he plays Childs in um, The Thing, um, he, apparently um, on set, Keith David kind of helped uh, Roddy Piper with some of his scenes and delivery and acting and things like that, and then Roddy Piper helped him 
with the, with the fight scenes. Yeah. Because you know, obviously <clears throat> Roddy Piper was one of the best people at choreographing yeah, yeah. a, a fight in the world at that stage. Yeah. You know, it was. Away. I think originally scripted as like a twenty second fight, thirty second fight, and right. uh, they uh, they just decided they would enjoy enjoy it so much that they, <laughs> they were actually apparently actually hitting each other as well. Yes. Right? Except except in the face or in the groin. Yeah. Which. Well, obviously, he gets thumped in the groin something like seven times in a row. I so know <laughs> that would have been a yeah. would have been a, a family breaker, like. But um. uh, did 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 you know that the uh, fight um, in South Park? Yeah, cripple G- fight. Oh, is it Jimmy and Timmy? Jimmy and Timmy, yeah. their their cripple fight. That's <laughs> supposed to be shot for shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, this this the yeah. same fight. I've seen somewhere that actually posits in both side by side oh and, really uh, so it's, it's actually works. kind of yeah, it's yeah. done that even in, the, even yeah, in terms yeah. of how, um, how long it takes to do the fight yeah it, it lasts the same amount of time it's, oh. uh, there might be a couple of a couple of little slips but it's uh, <clears throat> it's pretty much there like. it is one of the things that people notice about the film you know, kind, oh, yeah. kind of someone who's never seen it before and you show it to them they're just kind of sitting there going when is this fight going to end and <laughs> yeah. when you think it's and they're all kind of you know out of breath and leaning on walls and then it just starts <laughs> up again yeah <laughs> He's like he's not gonna let him not yeah. put on the glasses. I think yeah. there's a bit as well where like he's not. I think he hits Roddy Piper in the face and he goes down, and then it looks like he's gonna help him up. At one stage, yeah, and just hits him again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, pretty brutal. But I heard they like did the whole thing. They practiced it for a month. Did they? Yeah. Yeah. Before they actually got mm-hmm. the whole thing down. So <laughs> by that stage, so, sort of the choreography was. So good that came off pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, just just concentrating on that, and obviously, um, Roddy Piper with all his experience of being a kind of pro wrestler, um, they must have just had that down, wasn't they? They must have had, they must have just absolutely nailed it. Yeah, you know? and it certainly um, comes off anyway. Yeah, it, it does. It, it certainly looks class. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's probably one of the one of the biggest kind of scenes. One of the things people most remember, I think, from the film. You know, and you, you got. Mm-hmm. Um, I've come here to chew bubblegum and uh, that that fight. I've come here to chew bubblegum is such a weird, weird line. It yeah. doesn't really it make any sense because there's, there's no connection to bubblegum anywhere else in the film. No. It's, uh, and it's also, I think, sort of um, uh, taken on again by Richard Linklater. Richard Linklater? Linklater in uh, Dazing the Fuse, which oh. he made about four years later, I think, five years later. Where um, there's a, a scene at a party, um, uh, or a big like keg keg party out in the out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, some guy says, uh, "I've come here to do two things: drink beer and kick some ass." And I'm almost out of beer, and everybody laughs. <laughs> Which uh, is Laugh. set before they live, but it's made afterwards. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, oh, I whenever I hear that, I think, "Yeah, that must have mm-hmm. must have been inspired by that." Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think of possible justifications behind it because I, I know like. Um, when they put on the glasses and every, every so often when they take them off he says something about like a come down at one stage yeah they yeah, guys, yeah yeah when he's in so it's like having something drilled into your head yeah yeah so like it gives you a rush or whatever and then like uh maybe maybe that's like sort of the cause of it like you know it's it's just because he's so dizzy or whatever which could yeah. be the excuse about him just suddenly flipping as well i guess yeah sort of tenuous excuse for like going on a murderous rampage yeah. you know but um but yeah but Essentially, anyway, I'm pretty sure at one point they're referred to as Hoffman glasses. You know, like Hoffman was the guy that uh, discovered LSD. Oh, okay. So yeah. I was thinking that could be, you know, some sort of link there. In yeah. Terms of, but then that could also be like some sort of analogy to 
the same reality. Like maybe John Carpenter is a massive druggie as well or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 sure he smoked. Mm. I'm sure he and Dan Abanon probably smoked quite a lot of weed back in the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dropped a few LSD tabs. As well. mm. uh, so that's interesting. Yeah, I never thought of that before. Yeah. Um, could be that, but I'm pretty sure they refer them. I refer to them as Hoffman glasses yeah. at one stage. And actually, whenever um, whenever Nada goes into the church, because he's kind of starting to realize there's some there's obviously not a choir practicing in that church. Yeah. And he goes in and he sees the big "They live, we sleep" um, yeah. thing. He he, it kind of scans across and it shows you them making the sun the the, the sunglasses like all the equipment that they've yeah. used and it, it does look like a drug. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah thing. There's right. kind of like test tubes and beakers, yeah. and they're all kind of filled with like blue and red liquids. And you can yeah. think, so what do they actually do to make these yeah. glasses? How do they? <laughs> yeah. How do they actually make them? True. Yeah. Um, is it something to do with like? Well, I think the whole thing in the first place is it's the sort of radio waves that sort of make us. Yeah. Uh, like ignore the reality. So yeah. Like the aliens are everywhere, so the glasses supposedly block this. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that? Like you read the short story haven't you that yeah. it's based on it's different though isn't it in the yeah um, yeah just for, for anyone who doesn't know um, They Live is based on a short story called 8 O'Clock in the Morning by um, a guy called Ray, Ray Nelson and it was later um, made into a comic book called Nada um, the uh, short story 8 O'Clock in the Morning just begins with um, a hypnotist on stage who suddenly says uh, oh uh, awake because he's obviously just put loads of people under um, I think he's called George George Nada in the short story he's in the audience and the hypnotist saying awake wakens him from his kind of sleep and he notices all these aliens around him um, and he leaves the uh, theatre that night when the show's over and I think he, he kind of realises I better not let on that anyone can any of these aliens can kind of see me um, and he goes back to his house, and I think he ends up. I think he ends up like tying up his girlfriend or something, um, and then like killing his next door neighbors because he realizes that they're uh, they're aliens. And um, basically, I think at one stage, it, the phone rings and he picks it up, and it says someone in their line says, um, "You're going to die tomorrow at eight o'clock in the morning." Um, and he goes okay and hangs up and I think that's supposed to be that like the aliens control so much that they they can just tell you they can just tell a human being you're going to die tomorrow and then and then they'll die um, but yeah so in the short story it's not it's not it's not that he puts on glasses it's that he's the only one who's awake and everyone oh, okay. else is asleep oh. um, so it's just that that act of wake, um, waking up or um, it could be that he's his, his life is He's living a dream at the time at eight AM is when his alarm is set for and he'll yeah. wake up wake up so the life that he's been dreaming is gonna end. Yeah. Um, um so is he is he hypnotized to make people make to look is he hypnotized to think that people look like aliens or is he awake <laughs> from the hypnosis? I don't know. There's probably <laughs> There's I mean <clears throat> it's it, it kind of opens ambiguously and it just kinda of straight into the action, so I'm I'm sure there are loads of Loads of readings into that, yeah. yeah, that short story. But I think he, I think they are called the Fascinators. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'll have to look that up just in case I've got that wrong. But it's the Fascinators. That's what they're called, the yeah. aliens. Yeah. Because I mean, the the, the story it, it must only be about a thousand words or something. Yeah. It's really not that long. But it's class, and it was obviously enough for 
Carpenter to kind of yeah. read it? Like, did, did you guys, have you guys read it? I didn't read it. I, I read what he said about it, though. Like, uh, I think he decided to change the main premise of, you know, being hypnotized um, because, quote, it was too corny. <laughs> oh, really? That was Carpenter's reason? Yeah, but then uh, I'm not really sure what his definition of corny is because, you know, there's a lot of stuff in They Live which could be considered... Yeah. Kind of corny. Yeah, yeah. Like, even the sunglasses by themselves, like, it's... I know, yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's still good, but it's, you know, it's still, like, his criticism, it's still... Yeah. Yeah, they they, 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 they kind of talk about that in the um, uh, director's uh, commentary, and they're kind of saying, you know, that was what... That was the fashion... Those were the fashionable sunglasses at the time. They were, like, yeah. uh, kind of really big, chunky Ray-Bans in the, yeah. apparently in the was, 1980s. Was it... Were they actual Ray-Bans? Was it sponsored by ray Like. No. no, like I don't think Sorry. I don't think there's any kind of product placement yeah. there or anything. I, think I, I wondered just... about that. I thought that might be. Yeah, yeah. It, it could almost get like ironic, <laughs> ironic uh, product product placement or something. But uh, yeah, but, <laughs> kind uh, of like double layered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> yeah. irony can still be profitable. That's <laughs> that's the thing. Because um, I was sort of like when we were picking the beers and stuff, I was maybe thinking. Maybe there's a scene in the background where someone's holding the bear or something yeah. like that. But yeah. I didn't spot anything like no, that. No, no. There's, there's no real, like, um, day-to-day life in it after... No, yeah, there's nothing really, like... It's, it's strange. It's not really relatable to most of the viewers, I'm sure, because, like, the, the first guy... At the first, everybody's homeless, and then everybody's on a rampage or a terrorist. Or, yeah. You know, it's it's strange. It's, it's quite far removed from... Um, from real life, although it is, um, I mean, it is like full of like dated e- images you see everywhere, but yeah. the media images you see everywhere. But there's that's know, actually a really, really good point. It's yeah. not I'd, particularly relatable, which maybe is why it it sort of didn't really catch catch people as as no, a lot of films did. You know, I mean, it it didn't do very well. I don't no, think. No, I think it didn't do very well. It's obviously just kind um, of been picked up at the same time as well as that it. It handles some brilliant ideas and it it makes yeah makes some brilliant points, mm. but it handles it all very clumsily as well as you know. It does the plot the plot turns that happen instantly instead of gradually and <laughs> things like that. You know, it's a, from a narrative perspective, it's it's like you know driving over a bumpy road. You know? Yeah, mm. well, the, the the thing I notice about Carpenter's films is his his sense of pacing because people people yeah. kind of say it's like. It, John Carpenter and Dario Argento, the two things that are kind of attributed to them by different people individually is that they are the master of suspense. Yeah. Um, Argento's maybe the master of the sense, uh, uh, the master of suspense, but I would say Carpenter's probably the master um, of uh, pacing. Mm-hmm. You know, when, yeah, you, like, when like you look at Halloween, Halloween. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, how long that kind of takes to build up in comparison to, you know, Friday the 13th. Uh-huh. Um, or uh, what else? The um, Thing. The Thing. Yeah. yeah. How long that's like, the perfect film and like yeah, just creating that totally. much paranoia. Yeah, the entire time. Uh, Assault in Precinct Thirteen. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, they're actually yeah they're, they're yeah. all paced it's beautifully, very, you know. Yeah, which is what makes this so uncharacteristic. It's but I mean, it's, it, it, but it's 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 slow at the start when he's kind of running into town and then it, is, it kind yeah. of it kind of picks up as you say and just yeah goes goes with it. It's yeah. almost as if he had to like he had to cut sections out of it and he just thought well I'll cut the I'll cut the most sort of the slowest most sort of like uh, I don't know the most sort of uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for 
any any sort of exposition yeah. from the middle is cut out, you know. Yeah, yeah because I mean, like you suddenly accelerates, doesn't it? Like, yeah, exposition yeah. from the middle is sort of a bit of contradiction in terms, but no, but I know what you mean. You know, you know, exposition on a, on a certain theme. Yeah. yeah, it's more kind of action towards the end because at the start there's 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 a decent amount of time. Yeah spent filming him walking along the freeway in the rain or waiting for a train yeah. to go by yeah. or... like I was going to say like even the opening it's just him slowly crossing train tracks yeah, yeah. and the music as well is very slowly <laughs> and it, it's kind of it's almost like a western music yeah. isn't it it's kind of doon doon yeah yeah doon. like porno western <laughs> yeah <laughs> funk porno western uh, apparently um, you know when the train goes by at the start uh, they actually um, that was actually set up they actually paid for the train to go oh, really? to go past. They didn't just wait for a train. <laughs> Rather than just turn up when the exactly. train was scheduled to go past. But apparently <laughs> let's spend money. Let's apparently it. it um it like got on the wrong rail and went the wrong way. So they had to do the they had to do that take twice <laughs> to get the train. It's weird because when you're watching it you don't even notice and you think, oh well they're obviously they obviously filmed that as a train was going by, but no. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, if it was like a, a more low-budget film, they would have just, like, you know, Filchy would, yeah. have, Filchy would have done that. He would have just waited for a train. Yeah, checked the timetable. But, but yeah. not John Carpenter. John yeah. Carpenter pays for trains. Yeah. <laughs> See, I heard it was quite low-budget. I was reading another interview uh, with him about They Live, and he sort of, like, I'm sure it's high-budget compared to a lot of films, but, like, mm -hmm. compared to Hollywood films, I think it was quite low-budget. Yeah, well, if, I think um, since the success of Halloween, Carpenter's films had been kind of um, increasing in budget. They kind of gave him more and more money. Yeah. And I think the film prior to this was something like Big Trouble in Little China yeah. or perhaps Prince of Darkness. I think it was Prince of, I think Prince Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness was maybe... I think came first. I mean, or, yeah. I think, I think it was 85. Yeah. yeah. Um, but whatever, whatever it was, I think... His his previous film had been a bit of a hadn't done as well, yeah. Uh, and so then I think for his for his next film, which was They Live, the budget was cut a bit. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Big Trouble in Little China. I don't know. It, it did it do well. It, I don't know. It's uh, it's one of my childhood no, favorites. Yeah. But uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it, you would think it's the most ex accessible of the Carpenter Carpenter's films because yeah. it's, it's not really a horror film, is it? No. No. Or a wacky yeah action film, isn't it? Like a yeah. comic book kind of. Yeah, yeah isn't uh, Kim Cattrall in it? Maybe I actually haven't seen it since I was about eleven. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I can't remember. Ages since I saw it. again. It was my my uncle Michael showed me it when I was about six or seven <laughs> yeah. and got in trouble with my mum for. It. <laughs> but like, is it also maybe due to a lack of well, there is no corporate sponsorship in it. Like as far as I can tell, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the but budget isn't so high. Or... There's a thing you were saying there about about the booze. Um, is there booze whenever um whenever he meets Holly? And forces him, uh, forces Holly to take him back, and yeah, she says, "I'm house. thirsty," and goes oh, to yeah, prepare a drink. A wine bottle. Yeah, she's got a wine bottle, but she's also got you know, kind of typical, yeah, you know, middle class house. She's got like all her booze kind of sitting out. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, there's bound to be booze there, or else at the end when he finally blows up the satellite and he cuts to people in a bar. Yeah. But they're just, oh yeah, I can't remember. They're obviously drinking beer. There must be beer there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and they're all horrified. At the, the news presenter's face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah possibly. But I can't remember, like, nothing stood out for me anyway. No. Like, no. Remember. Yeah, because we were kind of watching it, yeah. trying to kind of look, look for booze. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I remember, like, uh, to go off on a sort of a different tangent, like, being disgusted when I watched the remake of, you know, Star Trek, mm -hmm. and the new films that came out recently, and the yeah. last one that had Budweiser in the background. Did they? Yeah. yeah and I was yeah. kind of going, this isn't Star Trek, there's no, you know, companies anymore. Yeah, exactly. No money anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's but, weird. Uh, Budweiser? Yeah, so it was, it was weird to see it in a film like that, but, like, it's good not to see it, like, well, 
might be wrong, but it doesn't appear to be in They Live. No. Mm. No. So it may be consistent with the theme he was going for. Maybe because, I mean, uh, in, in the in the thing, for example, um, J&B Scotch appears oh, yeah. prominently. Um, yeah. So it's not as if Carpenter himself was kind of opposed to that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm trying to remember the thing they brought up in the interview. It was about uh, it was about the budget and specifically him filming in, in, you know, well, downtown, as they call it, like in city centre sort of area, which would cost you an absolute fortune like these days. But he pretty much said it, well, I pulled some strings, which he knew people, I guess. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that helped him, you know, get, get into that area. But he said he wasn't going to tell people what happened. Oh, um, right. That's interesting. Yeah. Because um, they'd have to cut off, like, I'm sure it would cost you a fortune, because you'd have to cut off streets and stuff yeah. to yeah. be able to film this Yeah, because there are scenes when when he's about to rob the bank, hmm. there's, like, cop cars like, yeah. ra- racing down the, what mm-hmm. what looks like a pretty central kind of shopping district street yeah. where the bank is and where he's just come out of that delicatessen. Yeah. Could that be a studio street, though? I mean, like, Universal has, has whole streets Good point. For that, that whole thing, you know, Good point. Good point. Good purpose, but I don't know. What I gained from the interview was it seemed he seemed to say that pretty it much was. everything was filmed, like you know, on like yeah. downtown LA. Yeah. 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 The uh, shanty town was um, uh, was a set that was built by the uh, by the crew, obviously. And um, I don't I don't know when the director's commentary was filmed. I think it might have been like about ten years ago now, maybe maybe longer. Mm-hmm. But um, in the director's commentary, he says that the um, they just left the the um, setting there, and it's it's still there. Yeah. And he says, you know, because of where Carpenter lives, he said, you know, the odd time he would kind of be in that area, and he would specifically drive drive past it. <laughs> Go hang out maybe, shanty time. Yeah, maybe like get and get out of his car and kind of yeah. re- relive making that film and yeah, and yeah. kind of being a bit nostalgic. Right. It's still there, just no one's taking it down. Yeah. Well, I heard the church is real as well. Really, oh, yeah. an actual church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. And it's, it's 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 like it's it's actually it actually is across the street from the shanty. It's yeah. like it's yeah. all, you know. And whenever you see Roddy Piper going into, he's kind of sneaking into the church. That's not that's not suddenly cutting to a studio in Hollywood. It's the actual yeah. church that's across the street from the actual shanty town, and he's actually going in. I suppose it's funny because the positioning in the. Um, Positioning in the set is sort of a little bit awkward. You know, he's they're sort of looking over at a church. It's not really, it's not really focused properly. You know, they're they're in the yeah. shadow and they're sort of looking over the church, and it's not like yeah, there's like a fence in the way and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it is a little bit clumsy almost, but yeah, I suppose that lends it a nice, nice reality. You know, yeah, a bit of realism. Yeah. Hmm. Then I don't know where the films was like the underground parts was that. Would that be studio based? You would think that be must be, yeah, or like maybe some some office that they've just like really hard or hospital or something that they've got really <laughs> yeah technical yeah. corridors. The, um, yeah, that's the thing. Like it, yeah. it could be a set, or it could just be just some random place that they yeah. filmed yeah. for a while. Possibly, like I don't know. It, it does seem like a studio. But like, um, I, I I quite like those parts as well. You know, when he's just discovered that. There's this whole underground base where humans are involved as well. Like, mm, yeah. Anyway, he obviously knows this, but then it's just made quite apparent to him. Um, yeah. Especially when the <laughs> they discover the big, you know, conference bits where they're talking about the progress they've made and how they defeated the I think it's the terrorist cell they call them. Yeah. And the guys are going, yeah, all so right. You. <laughs> uh, well, well, I've, I've actually I've actually got that um, whole speech in a clip. Do you okay. Wanna, yeah. Do you want to listen to it? Sure. Definitely. 
Okay. Our projections show that by the year 2025, not only America, but the entire planet will be under the protection and the dominion of this power alliance. The gains have been substantial, both for ourselves and for you, the human power elite. You have given us entree to the resources we need in our ongoing quest for multidimensional expansion. And in return, the per capita income of each of you here tonight has grown, and this year alone, by an average 39%. And I have just received word that our forces have won a major victory. The underground terrorist network has been destroyed here on the West Coast. We are off crisis alert. The situation is normal again. I mean, that uh, speech is really sinister when they talk about kind of crushing the underground terrorist network. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that's a kind of really interesting point. It kind of, you know... One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Yeah. And I suppose that's, you know... Because, I mean, like... If you have a kind of situation where uh, a kind of state government is using violence and using the police force to kind of suppress people mm-hmm. uh, and to kind of protect property for, for rich people and for the government, um, then it's difficult to argue that those fighting for that change shouldn't also take up arms. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's kind of difficult. Yeah. It's 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 kind of it's, it's an interesting argument. But what what will always happen in that situation is the government that controls the media and has an influence on how things are reported. Just all all they have to do is label them as terrorists. Oh, yeah, you know because you can kind of imagine like the the scene where they kind of break up the cops come in and break up the shanty town and it's horrendous. You know they're beating beating yeah. up the blind preacher and beating up old people and kind of just shooting people. Um, you can kind of imagine how that probably does go on in oh, yeah. America. You know, yeah, just okay. cops just displacing people, mm-hmm. and uh, all they have to do is either make sure no one knows about it, no one finds out, or else if they think they can't keep that, then say, well, they fired first. You know, yeah. they were terrorists, they were drug dealers, they were doing something bad that that in some way justifies the fact that we just you know crushed their home and <laughs> killed some of them. <laughs> I've uh, I've noticed a, a sort of worrying trend in recent years of of pretty uh, pretty intellectual people. Uh, Probably out of for the sake of controversy, sort of dismissing, uh, like Nelson Mandela as a terrorist. You know, he's you can say what you like about him, but he's just a terrorist. But that's you know that's where this whole idea of freedom fighting comes mm-hmm. in. You know, it's he's not just terrorist. There was there was a terrible regime in place, mm-hmm. and um, you know I'm not going to get my high horse, but about <laughs> about apartheid at the minute. Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's you know that that whole whole idea of. Um, so easy to dismiss somebody with a label. Yeah, yeah be- because they happen to have used a gun to yeah. <laughs> achieve their political aims. I mean, yeah. you can obviously pacifism is uh, desirable, and it's something that we should all work towards. That you know, no one feels the need to use violence, mm. and obviously yeah. you shouldn't, you know, hit people in the street or something. But, yeah. But pacifism as a completely unshaken ideology is naive because oh, yeah, only people who are rich enough to live in a place where they aren't being harassed every day, you know. Can afford to be. <laughs> can, can afford to be a pacifist. You know, we, uh, the people living in the shanty town in Le- They Live or the people living in a shanty town in Sao Paulo. Oh, yeah. 
um, yeah. try going to them and telling them that violence is bad and they shouldn't yeah. use violence when every single day there are rapes and muggings and murders. Yeah. Of, of course, there's a tipping point as well where you get the likes of the Red Army faction in Batermeinhof and yeah, oh, yeah. who were just crazies, just yeah, killing for almost for pleasure, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, what about like maybe as a modern day example, you could think of maybe the Zapatistas as a, yeah, yeah, sort of a like they sort of work within their own community, but like will actively take up arms against the Mexican government, mm-hmm. which yeah. has happened a few times. I think like someone recently was killed by the Mexican government. They basically sent in troops to try and get them. They've done this a few times or whatever, and obviously because they're all armed as well, it ends up in you know some sort of gun battle. Yeah, but yeah. I think recently one of the Zapatista members was uh, murdered. Right. By yeah. The Mexican government, but it's a good example of how you know you should take up arms to. <laughs> believe in you know what you're fighting for and form a well their idea as a free community which is very small but they still have it like and, mm-hmm. <laughs> we probably it should point out as well that this is in no way an incitement to violence <laughs> any sort <laughs> we're, we're not not trying to encourage people to take up arms but and um, there are certain circumstances where some people may may feel that they need to yeah, or just certain circumstances where it's not necessarily black and white, you know, where yeah. it's not necessarily people who use guns are bad. Yeah. yeah. Except for the army and people who are state endorsed, they can use guns because they're yeah, good people. <laughs> but to be clear, we're not encouraging people to take up arms <laughs> in any way. I mean, the, th- the thing about the Bad Meinhof gang um, and the reason that they're kind of you know, um, have kind of questionable um, actions and, and beliefs is because they not only targeted kind of state military targets, they targeted civilians who happened to be rich, so bankers or yeah. judges or things like that. And journalists, but, uh, they work for the wrong paper. You know, yes, so, yeah. but if you um, if you look at the context that they live, where everyone who's a judge or a cop, or <laughs> not a cop, but everyone who's a judge or a banker or a yuppie yeah. is... An alien. Yeah, you can you can see where they weren't people. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> see where that, that ideology. I think comes. that's the worrying thing about that love for me though. That, like he's just sort of uh, willing to kill people that well, yeah, people, people that aren't humans. You that, know, that, that they're fine. Exactly. <laughs> he he doesn't actually even pause to find out what their agenda is. If they are maybe here to like benefit humanity, you know, mm. um, if they're maybe if possibly they are the ones that are. You know, obviously they aren't the ones that are uh, under control, but um, he doesn't. It doesn't pull to mind any of this out. Yeah. He just fucking he just starts shooting. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So maybe there's some imp- impending disaster awaiting humanity yeah. that they know about, and they've kind of infiltrated us to save us. Yeah. yeah. The only contact he's had with one of them is, or the, actually, somebody sort of asks him what his problem is at a newspaper stand, and then somebody reports him to the police. So I suppose he has a suspicion that they are, yeah, wrong. But from his perspective, Mister, I believe in America. Why does he instantly distrust the police? You know, if they yeah, mm. yeah, that's a good point. There's good guys, you know, they're on his side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was one of the things I was kind of wondering was, and if, but I think it is actually explained in the film, and um, whether or not the cops who are humans are just people who are just people who are who are cops and don't know any better. Just duped, yeah. Actually, or if they actually, yeah. or if they are kind of part of the people who sell out. But yeah. I, but I think it is kind of explained at one stage. They kind of explain that um, most of them aren't really aware. They're being told that the resistance are communists. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah, Gil- Actually, Gilbert says that. I, uh, when I said he's no reason to distrust the police, he does because he sees the police um, trying to well basically 
killing the oh, blind the priest. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and the other guy, the, uh, yeah, the guy who does the trash in the shanty town. Yeah, was with like a, as well. Like it's not the police, but when he's in the, I think it's the grocery store as well. When he's the first time he's been on the glasses as well, uh, he sees like these two well yuppies, but one of them's an alien, the other's a human. Yeah, and they're talking about a job promotion, and the guy goes, "That's easy for you to say because you know you got the job." I didn't, and then the guy who's clearly an alien says, "Oh, maybe he'll get it next time." Yeah, he yeah, says, he says like, "Don't worry about it; it'll come." Yeah, and I wonder, does that mean don't worry about it? Pretty soon, I'm going to tell you what the crack is, and you're yeah. and, and you're going to you're going to join us. Yeah, or is he just kind of saying, "Stop fucking bothering me"? Yeah, then <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you almost get a sort of Scientologist sort of perspective there as well. Yeah. You know, like I'll I'll let you in the secret if you get a little bit richer and. Yeah, <laughs> climb the ladder a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a, I, I imagine that's probably just a, a parallel rather than yeah. any sort of direct inspiration. But um, certainly, in his willingness to kill people, it kind of reminds me of you know the Ward Churchill sort of arguments. Yeah. Um, for for anybody that doesn't know who Ward Churchill is, he was pretty much a well university professor, wasn't he? Uh, I can't remember what university it was he attended. No. Mm. But he was fired on the basis of an essay he wrote about nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. He essentially compared people that worked in the nine eleven well the trade center, the building to did he call them little Eichmanns? Little Eichmanns, yeah. yeah. And said they were worthy of being <laughs> killed. Yeah. So I think it's loosely like it works on the same level as Roddy Piper's justification for killing the aliens mm-hmm. and things like that because he sees them as implicit in the, the crimes of, well, uh, Churchill's argument is the crimes of capital. Yeah. Well, Roddy Piper's argument is the crime of this occupation conspiracy. Yeah, occupation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, War, War, <laughs> Churchill, War Churchill still talks about the... Uh, because he's... Um, of Native American um, lineage, yeah, mm-hmm. and he he still talks about the uh, European occupation of North America, right? Yeah. He still views North America as an occupied territory. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's never sat right with me that argument that he uses about the people that died in the nine eleven. No, attacks, yeah, you know, like that they deserved it more. Yeah, I think he essentially says that, doesn't he? They he does know? because the 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 point he makes is that Eichmann was a civil servant. He was uh, he was an administrator. He was a uh, like a cler- yeah. clerical job. Right. So he didn't kill anyone. He didn't load the bodies on 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 you know into the the pits. But he signed the papers. He did mm. the paperwork. He he facilitated it through administration. And he's kind of saying, <laughs> the people who work in the trade center. Um, they weren't the, they weren't going over and causing war crimes in Iraq or Afghanistan yeah. or whatever like that, but they as good as did by doing yeah. their administrative jobs, which is, I mean, you know, most of those people would have just been, you know, clerical, yeah, yeah. clerical yeah. officers. You know, I'm sure some of the people who were killed would have just been like, could have even been temps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like full time charity workers, part time. Actually, it could be full time charity workers. Yeah, been, you know, yeah. a lot of a lot of good people. You know, yeah, right? exactly. Or, you know, the people, the guy who washes the toilets, the guy who mops the floors, the guy who works in the canteen, the guy who delivers the coffee. Yeah, yeah. and even if they weren't, even if they were, if they were total bastards, there. I mean, what right does he have to be the judge of the arbiter of life and death? You know, yeah, exactly. So, is it the same with Nada? Well, that's what I think. Like about Nada, so the the possibility yeah. that he's essentially just killing bureaucrats. Yeah, you know, yeah. maybe they're just in it to get their paycheck. Yeah, like um, that don't necessarily uh, agree with the occupation. Yeah, <laughs> in that is, sense, it, like, is it the case that uh, every single alien has a say in the the uh, the occupation of the world, 
and therefore is compliant? Yeah. Or is it just a small few and it's... and the rest of them are coming from their home home planet to a new colony? Yeah. You know, like uh, because it, it, there's actually a comment. You know, uh, the guy's called Gilbert. He's the guy who they kind of meet at the shanty town at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually says, I think it's him that says. Earth is their third world, so Earth, yeah, Earth to right. them is like Africa. It's a, it's a poor place with weak people that they can infiltrate yeah. and steal all the natural resources and use it. So, are are some of the people he kills just basically colonists, people who, yeah. Yeah. people who whose government have done horrible things, but they themselves are just aliens and haven't necessarily done anything that's, wrong themselves. That's what I wondered about. Yeah. That was a strange statement because I, uh, I wasn't sure if they meant that in a literal way. Like, have they? Have they colonized two planets before this? This is their third world, or obviously, like the first connotation you would take from it is this third world. You know, you would associate it with um, poor countries. But then, yeah, I sort of wondered: is it maybe because this the the dialogue in this movie is so odd to begin with? Could it maybe even just be that taken in literal sense that that it literally is yeah, the third the third world? I don't yeah. know, but um, but actually, know what you've said uh, makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Sure. Well, the thing I think, like, but well, not necessarily. Well, the use of the third world's always that sort of disparaging, like you know, their like primitive yeah. kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's exactly. Not like, yeah. yeah, it's not really a nice word to use, but it is the words that are used. Yeah, well, it sorry. is. Yeah, to describe those, like, um, um, and then I suppose that's a nice thing as well because it situates Earth in that. Like, mm-hmm. we would never think of ourselves as a, no, true. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. It's a leveler. Yeah, no, but it, yeah. Um, hmm. But just while we're kind of talking about the character Gilbert, um, like do you, do you know the guy I'm talking about? He's yeah. kind of like the leader of the resistance. Yeah, I yeah. was kind of it was another one of those things where I was watching the film and going, he is definitely in another John Carpenter Recall? film. Is he in Total Recall? Is he the guy? He's Squatto, the or he's the guy that hosts him anyway. At the bar. Uh, and you know, you know the guy. Yeah, the thing yeah. going out of the chest, like yeah, the, yeah. The, oh, the sort of the, was that like, him? I'm not entirely sure, but I don't know. That, like you mentioned, his face. Right, we'll have to look that up. But <laughs> he is in. He plays. I mean, I, I didn't know the character's name. I looked it up, but I remember. I remembered. I remembered the character. He plays Doctor Paul Leahy in Prince of Darkness. Oh, okay. Um, he is the guy who is doing the cool stuff with the apple in the kitchen. He's kind of throwing it up and bouncing it off his elbow, yeah, yeah. and he's doing that trumpet thing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know yeah. the guy I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay yeah cool that makes sense you know I think like someone's watching um, a cartoon or something and he's kind of talking to them and and then ah that's right and then he in Prince of Darkness he um, goes outside and he sees the no no I say it's not I was going to say he sees the bird crucified and gets stabbed with a stabbed with a bicycle by Alice Cooper but it's not actually him sounds <laughs> <laughs> like a ridiculous <laughs> have, have you seen Prince of Darkness? I have but like I saw it when I was a kid like so I can barely remember it right I can't remember how I saw it maybe about 10 years ago um, but uh, I remember yeah I remember the bit you're t- talking about yeah but, I remember um, the trumpet thing and the apple thing yeah <laughs> so it, it is obviously something to do with um, you know kind of carpenter like he, see, he, he does seem to use the same people I mean obviously he used uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween and also mm-hmm. in The Fog. Yeah. There might be another one I'm missing. Kurt Russell, obviously, he used again. Keith David, yeah. who plays Frank in this and Childs in The Thing. Um, and also his producer, um, La- Larry J. Franco. Mm. If you kind of 
that name might ring a bell just from the the, the uh, credits to John Carpenter films. He in in They Live he plays um, Holly's neighbor. Do you remember whenever Holly whenever um, oh, yeah. Nada oh, forces yeah, yeah. and then that they uh-huh. when they arrive at Holly's house and they get out of the car, her, her two friends come out. That one yeah. of them is Larry J Franco, Larry Franco, and he he was like a producer or executive producer or co producer on Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, which is mm-hmm. a John Carpenter film about oh, yeah, the car, yeah, Starman, Big Trouble in Little China. Prince of Darkness, and they live, and his co-producer, executive producer, and producer, um, uh, portfolio is he worked on The Rocketeer, Batman Returns, Jumanji, Sleepy Hollow, <laughs> Jurassic Park Three, Batman Begins, Twenty Twelve, and White House Down. What's White House Down? It was like a, it was released last year. I think it's essentially like terrorists are trying to blow oh, up the White yes, House. Oh yes, sorry, yeah, yeah. It's like um, Red, Red Dawn, like that kind of. Uh, yeah, 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 that kind of. They remade last year. As yeah. Well, I think. And there was another one like White House Town. Yeah, know, which its name I've forgotten. So it's same film. It's just weird, right? I mean, Carpenter always uses always uses the same people. Um, but I wonder is is that sort of is that a conscious thing to to enforce his uh, his brand? You know, to enforce the sort of Carpenter idiosyncrasies. You know, the people they yeah. cast themselves become idiosyncratic. Is I it? Know, um, I, I don't know, but it, it does seem to be. I mean, quite quite a lot of. Well, quite a lot of horror directors anyway. I know, I mean, I know, like, um, Lucio Fulci kept, um, kind of, Katrina McCall was his kind of leading lady, and then people like, um, Al Cleaver, or, and, and, um, you know, there in uh, quite a lot of uh, Lucio Fulci films, and I think, yeah. I mean, Dario Argento regularly used, um, Dario Nicolotti, his wife, and, you know, he yeah. used his daughter in a few films, so I think but it's just. You, you get it with a lot of sort of idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic directors in a broader sense as well, because you right. get, like, Woody Allen. Always use the same people. Um, Diane Keaton. Yeah. Scorsese uh, as well. Yeah, Scorsese, um, Wes Anderson. Um, mm, yeah, you know, Actually, to uh, a much, much bigger extent, Wes Anderson would recycle mm-hmm. characters. Yeah, Wes. Cast members. Someone like James Cameron or Steve, Steven Spielberg wouldn't necessarily no. recycle no. characters to the same extent. That's, that's a good yeah. point. Or but even, it's, or, it's maybe or a even Kubrick. Uh, I mean, Kubrick, yeah, Kubrick yeah. didn't really recycle characters or actors today? No, probably not. Thanks. So. Um, but it maybe says more about the the sort of type of director you are rather than the type of genre you're you're tapping into, you know. Do you think uh, so? Do you think maybe like Carpenter kind of one once he's kind of used an actor he kinda of goes, actually you know what? They yeah, would actually or, or work I mean, well like, for that. It, yeah, it could be a lot of a lot to do with um the sort of the the way you the way they, they work, you know, they if they work yeah. in a very hands on way with their, their actors are gonna bond a lot better and yeah. they're gonna start thinking about how they would use them in other other types of yeah. Uh, productions, but I don't know. I don't know. It could I be anything. Well, it could be. I mean, but I mean, Carpenter kind of says that you know, um, he kind of thinks you know, Roddy Piper was great because the whole film essentially rested on his shoulders and he pulled it off. But then he yeah. did. He didn't use Roddy Piper ever again. No, true. Yeah. True. Although he's, he was interviewed recently uh, and said he would work with him again, but he's never right. found the right project for him. Sort of I, I wonder what the the critical reception of Roddy Piper was like, though. I mean, his personal. I think the film reception was or perception was pretty good, but the critical reception maybe not so good because he, he's not a good actor he's not great um, um, it, but I don't think he needs that though you know? no he doesn't doesn't need it for the film I mean it's it's it worked well anyway it's yeah. uh, it actually it benefits probably from that it's like uh, when you go to say like a sort of like the only analogy I can think of is Arnold Schwarzenegger like when you go yeah, to yeah. see one of his films exactly yeah you're not expecting like yeah. some sort of class despian to no you wouldn't want that at all. <laughs> no, and you, and, um, and you wouldn't want that with they live. Yeah, 
Exactly. No. <laughs> Although, I mean, you know, They Live, you could argue, was Carpenter's last good film. Was it? Anyway, I mean, yeah, there's maybe. nothing really after They Live that is kind of critically acclaimed to the extent of Halloween, The Thing, The Fog, Prince of Darkness. You big, didn't like big Ghosts of Mars? I never, I never saw Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> oh, it's fucking awful. Well, it's then, terrible. Yeah. It's, it's pretty terrible, bad. yeah. I knew you'd have... That's really bad. I used to try and rent it out of the, uh, the video shop at the top of my, store, or top of my street, and... Uh, I was too young to rent it, but even when I when I tried, but the guy wouldn't let me rent it because not because I was too young, but because it was so shit, and he let me rent something else that was you know fifteen or eighteen written, when I was twelve, <laughs> and he was fine with that. But when, every time I tried to rent, goes to Mars, be like, no, I told you about this before. <laughs> That's <laughs> so genius. Shit. I mean, you wouldn't get that on blo- uh, Blockbuster. Or no, anything, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure what happened to John Carpenter, like. When... Like why? I well, I mean, yeah. in the um, director's commentary, he does kind of discuss that. Um, he oh, kind of shit. No. He, he kind of says like, <laughs> yeah. obviously, not all of his films were good. He kind of says, but he also says that he's. He, he actually mentions a few times about how old he's getting. Right. Yeah. He kind yeah. of goes, you know, when you get to the, my age, you know, and he one of the, the comments he makes is that when you're a young director, you're just full of energy, you're up at five in the morning, getting ready on set, and then, you know, you yeah. finish the film in 40 mm-hmm. days, and then a few months later, you're doing another film, and then you get yeah. older, and it just, making a film takes it out of you, it takes longer, and then you need a lot longer to recoup afterwards. Maybe he's, he's working on his, his magnum opus now, you know, maybe, maybe. He's in the background, uh, working on his search of lost time or something, or Metropolis. I suppose on the other end of that, like, like you mentioned, like I mentioned, someone like Scorsese, and like he's really old now, and he's still like you know able to yeah. pull it off. And he is, yeah. Not that he's a horror director, but like still able to keep it up. To yeah, him. yeah. There is definitely something about horror directors. I mean, Argento, you know, his last good film was kind of in the mid eighties. You know, everything he's done that since then has been not really that well acclaimed. Yeah. Um, maybe something to do with the energy that horror takes, or the maybe. Actually, the horror gets too much for you at a certain certain point, you know. Maybe, maybe. I think it's a sort of a Vogue thing as well, like you know what it yeah. in at the time, like you know. True. Like I don't think horror is, you know, part of the mainstream anymore. No, no, or the horror that is part of the, the horror, the bits of horror that are part of the mainstream are very much detached from, yeah. from the horror that, John Carpenter would be concerned with. Yeah. Like, like, the likes of Paranormal Activity and it's it's ilk or yeah. Are so yeah. far removed. Yeah, because it definitely was a big thing in the eighties, wasn't it? Like horror films that are like the yeah. go-to blockbusters. I think, yeah, for a while. yeah, they were e- easy to. Like, yeah, you know, people look for shocks and schlock and. Yeah, specifically uh, the um, slasher genre. Yeah, which Carpenter essentially kind of uh, precipitated with um, Halloween. Yeah. Um, I, arguably the first American slasher well the first North American because it was Canadian the first North American slasher film was Bob Clark's Black Christmas but uh, the interesting thing about that is that uh, Bob Clark and Carpenter were friends I think and uh, Carpenter had seen Black Christmas and thought that was brilliant you know really mm-hmm. liked that and he kind of was talking to him and said you know if you, if you were if you were going to make a sequel to that <laughs> film what what would the film be? <laughs> um, Evil Easter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, Bob Clark said, well, at the end of the film, um, at the end of Black Christmas, you're kind of left with that scene. Have you guys seen Black Christmas? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have yeah. you, You're left with Billy, the kind of unnamed killer, um, up in the attic. And then, so what would happen would be he would go to um, 
uh, I don't I want to say a lunatic asylum, but that's obviously not the correct sanatorium. It's probably yeah. not the correct. Uh, uh, yeah. But you know what I mean. But yeah. um, and then he would in the in the sequel he would break out on Halloween night and go and kill a bunch of babysitters. Yeah. And so Carpenter said, "Well, that sounds like a good idea." <laughs> and made Halloween. Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, so uh, why was I talking about that? Why was I talking about slasher films? Um, <laughs> we were talking about horror in general. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, ho- ho- state of horror, horror in the 1980s. Yeah. 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 Um, actually, I uh, this is sort of going backtracking a little bit, but talking about current horror and uh, when when we were talking about them going under underground to uh, when they they find they find the sort of alien sort of network tunnels underground. Yeah. Cable fifty four. Um, is that what? It, that's the TV station. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Cable Fifty Four. Yeah. Um, when they find find all that, um, it it sort of made me think of Cabin in the Woods. It's I sort of thought maybe ah, that's that's where okay. that has come from because Cabin in the Woods seemed like such a, a a bizarre original idea, but actually, when you think of like an underground sort of complex control yeah. and all this, that's genius. That's that's sort of what it reminded me of. But I don't. Yeah. know. It may not have had any sort of direct influence on it at all. But uh, it's it's it, like an alien invasion film. Yeah. But it's being controlled by um, a TV network and big, big yeah. people in suits. And it's yeah. like Cabin in the Woods is a slasher film. Yeah. But yeah. being controlled by. Yeah. At the same time, you know, the Truman Show could have had as, as much <laughs> yeah. of a, you know, an influence on yeah. Cabin in the Woods as. And I, I think. Stuff, but... A nice kind of circle there. I think Zizek actually refers to the Truman Show as, an, as, a, as a way to kind of illustrate Lacan's idea of culture and the real. Okay. And, you know, culture is the TV show because it's you're kind of being told what morality is what culture is what oh, people yeah. are yeah and then everything outside that is the real it's what's actually happening yeah yeah I suppose that that's quite apparent actually at the start of the film as well I think it's when he uh, he's walking past it's a shop that's selling TVs and there's one person in particular who's just sort of member of the public sitting watching the the TV screens, but you can hear the TV screens for some reason as well, even though they're in a shop. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. But it's about how it's all about you. It's all about the individual. Yeah. And oh. this is this is ideology for you. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just hitting you in the face, you know. It's yeah. <laughs> going, this is what you've got to concentrate on, which is the thing with Frank as well, because you were saying earlier, concentrates on his family and stuff. Yeah, that's what you know him and everything that's close to him, and and I mean that's we haven't touched upon it yet but that's that's the political and social background of this film isn't it it's, it's Thatcherism it's Reaganomics okay. yeah, yeah totally. I think that there's that other thing as well which is uh, uh, when it sort of leads into it um, or links to it anyway um, when they're underground yeah. and they bump into the guy who used to be homeless um, yeah. and he says something at one stage is like what's wrong with this we all sell out every day yeah do you remember that like uh, yeah mm-hmm. we've, got a, we've got a clip which we can play Okay, cool. Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah, go for cool. it. Cool. Yeah, go for it. I thought you boys understood. It's business. That, that's all it is. You still don't get it, do you boys? There ain't no countries anymore. No more good guys. They're running the whole show. They own everything. The whole goddamn planet. They can do whatever they want. What's wrong with having it good for a change? Now, they're going to let us have it good if we just help them. They're going to leave us alone. Let us make some money. You can have a little taste of that good life, too. Now, I know you want it. Hell, everybody does. You do it to your own kind. What's the threat? We all sell out every day. Might as well be on the winning team. Yeah, so that was, like, uh, inspired by something. I think it was a studio executive had said to John Carpenter. Because once he'd Mm. read the script. 
like he had said, oh, you know, what's the problem? Like, we all sell out, so he decided to use it verbatim mm -hmm. as uh, something to include in the script. We all sell out every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, at, at this at this stage, we're kind of moving on in our in our booze, and I'm just going to hold this close to the mic so you can hear the lovely cork come out. <laughs> Maybe you didn't hear that. But we're uh, just um, opening the 10-year-old uh, Laphroaig, which is a nice kind of smoky, peaty whiskey. And um, Listen to that gurgle. I know. <laughs> Considering uh, Roddy Piper was supposed to be Scottish. Do you reckon, um, like, John Nada, like, do you reckon he drinks whiskey? Do you reckon he drinks scotch? I don't know. He, he sort of seems like he might be a, uh, a real straight edge, except that he kills people. <laughs> uh, he might uh, be too. Uh, should we? we yeah. Cheers, we lads. Toast? Here's to John Adder and the the revolution. Yeah, John and Frank against the aliens <laughs> and David Icke and all that. Too. <laughs> um, he sort of seems like he might be a real straight edge. He might be um, sort of clean cut. I uh, go to work, say my prayers, go to bed, get up, do the same thing again and again. Yeah. Until I achieve the American dream, and then. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Possibly, but then I remember hearing like him being well, Roddy Piper, like the guy who played him, being interviewed about it, and he said that he thought he was good for the role because he was so experienced in life. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah okay. I, yeah. I can't remember if he said he'd been arrested. It was something along those lines, but he's definitely been stabbed twice, according to him. Yeah. Right, and things but, like that, and he's just been involved with fights and scrapes and stuff like that. Yeah. Sure Actually, I. Uh, I wonder. I wonder. Is it? This might be a bit of a stretch, but he um, when he first first moved to LA, he tries to uh, I think maybe sign on for some sort of benefits. Yeah. Uh, and he says uh, he was living in where was it? Uh, Detroit or something? No, where was no, it? No, was it like Ohio or somewhere like that? Somewhere um, Cleveland or something. But he said that he was living there for uh, fourteen years. The work dried up. They closed fourteen banks in in a week. But uh, then in he seemed when he when he actually burst into that bank with the guns. He seems pretty experienced. He seems to know what he's doing. I wonder was he a bank robber? Mm. Possibly. Ah, An old. He's, he's a. I mean, in the old sort of old like American folk tradition, you know, uh, that sort of traveling bank robber. You know, <laughs> yeah. Maybe like Face Nelson. You know. Pretty uh, boy Floyd. Pretty boy Floyd. Mm. Yeah. Ah, could he have, you know, as you was say, that where he's experienced and realization as well? Though when he goes into the bank, I don't think he realizes where he's walked into. No, he doesn't. I think yeah. it's supposed no. to be. Well, true. He, he actually wants to realize. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he, he sort of snaps into it straight away. You know, he snaps yeah. into the routine. Um, and does the I have come to Yeah, but wonder I, is that his his line from what he, what he used to say when he was really <laughs> yeah like, um, yeah because it doesn't make any sense. There's no context to it in that, but maybe that's his. No, I mean I could come back to that that phrase. Loads of, I mean, it's just, it's the eye, it's when he says, I've come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, but I'm all out of bubblegum. Yeah. Well, then you haven't come to chew bubblegum, because you didn't, <laughs> no, even, you, you you didn't, didn't even bring, bring any bubble anybody bubblegum yeah. bubble, bubble with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, like, going back to the bit where he goes to, like, well, I think it's the welfare office. Yeah. I particularly love the reaction of the, well, I guess it's the clerk there, the welfare clerk, yeah. who's just, is disinterested in his excuses. Yeah. Well, what she perceives as excuses anyway. Yeah. And she's just like grown, you know, cold uh, all these people coming to claim welfare checks or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But the but the interesting thing is that um he's he's not 
he, he's obviously not a scrounger because he says, you know, I was put out of work. I've got my own tools. Yeah. You know, I'm willing to work. Oh, I'm, true. I'm a yeah. kind of working positive. I'm like, I think it's, you know, what do they call it? Like the the working poor or something, I think. Yeah. It not not this perception of poor people on the dole is not doing any work. He's the he's the white, you know, male. Mm-hmm. He's tough and wants to work. And mm-hmm. But she still turn, turns him down. There's just yeah, this kind yeah. of... Um, uh, even and it's the same now that you kind of see even people who want to work yeah can't get a job yeah well that's the thing for me it's just her reaction to that is like she's obviously got this idea in her head that they're just being lazy or whatever even though there is no work she's still like yeah is just cold to any like sort of reason that he gives for being out of work yeah and then they're coming like to her to look for something when they should be doing it themselves kind of thing yeah well that's the impression I get from it anyway but it sort of ties into sort of well, my own personal reality of like my job I've heard people saying oh you know people in the dole like they need to yeah. you know pull up their bootstraps and just go like look for stuff yeah but like not like not all of them have been in that position some of them have but they like become indifferent and cold to it like yeah, yeah. because I, I mean it, I think I would probably all be in the dole like and it's 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 hard you know it's, it's, when you don't have a job it's it's impossible to get a job you know it's uh, mm-hmm. I, I locked into a job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if I can... I sympathise to a huge extent with anybody who who's in that situation because they... It's it's not... It's never easy, you know? You you never get you never get much money from the door, you know? You're not... No. To... Yeah. To call somebody a scrounger for that amount of money is... Yeah. You know, you're really screwing the barrel, like... Absolutely. Yeah. And mm. there was another good bit as well. I think it's when he first comes across the building site and then asks, you know, is there any jobs going? I've got my own tools or whatever. And then the guy goes, this is a union job. Yeah. As yeah. And to try and put him off. Like, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, you have to join the union if you want part of this. Like, yeah. And he goes, okay, I've kind of talked to the shop steward. <laughs> yeah. Like, he and just I, wants to work. Like, yeah. And actually, though, like, it, it sort of seems like that's an obstacle, but then the guy... Is, seems really sympathetic as well at the same time like he seems yeah. like he's, he's going to cut him some slack and so yeah but then he, like, he seems nice but then just as he just as the day is over when he's yeah, passing, him, yeah, when he's yeah, passing yeah. him rather than going good day's work see you tomorrow he goes don't be sleeping in the <laughs> yeah don't yeah. sleep in the junkyard sure yeah, like, well, 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 fuck you yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, um, but like I think there's a massive like well as far as I can tell anyway there's a massive anti-union movement in the states uh-huh. like to the point where Walmart actually released a advert for their workers so if you start a job at Walmart now then make you watch an anti-union video yeah have you seen that horrible. I I know about that kind of stuff um, going on like it's, it's horrible yeah, it's have you ever seen that on Bread and Roses it's uh, no. it's about uh, cleaners um, It's I think it's based I'm not sure how closely but it is based in reality um, about cleaners in some some like maybe government building in uh, in Los Angeles and they're mostly Hispanic um, they uh they basically want to join. They're really, really uh, under, you know, underpaid. Uh, you know, they they want to join a union. They can't join a union. Their employer prevents them from joining a union. And then Adrian Brody is a a union rep, and he tries to con- convert them all to join a union. He says, if you all join the union, then they can't they can't hurt you. But then it's you know, it's do we don't we kind of stuff. It's it's a really really good film. It's really, um, uh, it's a really entertaining film, but also really. Um, Really intelligent film, really yeah, well done. Right. Yeah, it's worth. That's, watching. I mean, that's kind of that's a, that's actually a good point about they live because we've mostly talked about um, 
the kind of political satire and on, on, on all those kind of intricacies and you know, what the aliens represent and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, at the end of the day, it is a properly good pump action shotgun <laughs> sci-fi yeah. action thriller. I mean, yeah, he's it got is, like yeah. a hunky wrestler as the main guy. He's got his shades and his, yeah. and his and his guns, <laughs> and he's going around shooting people. I mean, how do you think it rates as an actual kind of action film? Is like a, a you know, well, I think like well, it goes back to what we were talking about way earlier. Like the first time I saw it. I don't think I took in as much of the satire or the like, you know, analogy yeah. sort of uh, levels of it. Like I just saw it as an action film, it was you know fighting against the aliens. Yeah, yeah. And at the time, thought it was really good within that context. Yeah, um, Maybe the action is the action is very very prevalent, but it's maybe not as bombastic as people would want at that time. You yeah. know, um, I think so. What was on like that, and maybe that's why it sort of missed on a. It sort of missed uh, on a mass market sort of um, level, as you know, it wasn't actiony enough. It wasn't as you know as grand or as as you know explosive as people might have liked. But it also wasn't as cerebral as other people might have liked. Mm. You know? Or it wasn't. It was cerebral, but it wasn't acted like a cerebral movie. You know, it's yes, probably so. pitched just in the middle of those yeah those two genres and. Uh, or two. Well, like fighting a war on two fronts. Kind of yeah, thing. yeah. It was a comment. Uh, Spread stuff too thin. Nada actually makes, where he says, uh, "The middle of the road's the worst place to drive." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's you know, maybe that maybe they live was too middle of the road in, in terms mm-hmm. of it didn't hit either either market the kind of intelligent, yeah. you know, subversive Orwellian commentary or the kind of pump, you know pump action shotgun. Yeah, let's kill some aliens. Um, demographic hmm. yeah. <laughs> still a good film though yeah. Oh, yeah definitely well I suppose even within the action context I mean that fight is just yeah something else like you know? and the bit at the end where they're, where they're going around the um, uh, uh, kind of corridors and they're trying to find the roof so they can blow up the mm-hmm. thing and uh, just like more and more army guys just keep turning around the corner. Yeah, but yeah. They don't have a chance. Frank and no. Frank and Nada just absolutely <laughs> yeah. rinse them as soon as, they, as soon as they come around the corner, I'm, just gun them down. The, the aliens or the alien gunmen or the army, the human army gunmen or police gunmen, are obviously at, a, at an advantage because they're vastly outnumber them and they're they're above them and all this stuff. Yeah, but they just like seem to shoot like. Yeah. <laughs> Like they're blind yeah. or something, you know. Especially like the, there's a bit in the alley as well. I think it's just after the meeting has been like infiltrated by the police. Yeah, or whatever. Like, like there's a bit where Frank and uh, you know Nada get stuck in this like well brick alley. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they should have been killed like oh. ten yeah. times over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but they're they shooting people off roofs and <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah. In fact, that's just before they go down because that's the point yeah. where they yeah, watch right, malfunctions yeah. and they jump in. Yeah. <laughs> but um, did you notice that the uh, you know the army guys? Down below, their walkie talkies. Oh, the Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're the PKA right. meters from yeah. from Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. What is the st- what's the story? <laughs> I don't that? know. About that. yeah. I saw an interview with John Carpenter about that as well. But the same one I was talking about earlier. Like he, uh, that's mentioned to him, but he says he didn't like realize at the time. So was it just like that? It happened to be the same prop department. Must have just been yeah, sitting yeah. around the studio. Yeah. yeah. He said about that thing. He talked about a low budget and said we we're just like going with whatever they gave us. Um, and they give them the PKE meters from yeah. Ghostbusters. <laughs> so brilliant. You got those, and I'm actually I'm surprised I didn't notice that because when I was a kid, because of all the things yeah. I didn't notice, I'm surprised I didn't notice that there. Did, did you notice that? I did. Yeah, that's the one thing I noticed. Really? <laughs> yeah. That there was the no. P- I I had to have it pointed out to me. <laughs> yeah, it's just the big 
like yeah, and there's like you can just see Egon, can't you? you yeah, know, looking at him. Yeah, <laughs> and they're really impractical communicators. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, did did John Carpenter have anything directly to do with um, Halloween Three? You know, Season of the Witch. Have you seen either? Have you seen that? that um, I don't think so. I think he and Deborah Hill only even only did Halloween 2 because they yeah. were kind of contra- contractually obliged which is why Halloween 2 is a bit of half-arsed yeah yeah um, no I didn't think they would have it would have been a real disappointment if they had. have you seen Season of the Witch? it's awful it, 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 it is one of those films that I've still never seen and I'm ashamed to say I've never seen Halloween 3 it's, it's really terrible um, but uh, it's basically like this this toy company sells all these masks um, to kids and yeah. they tie them in with a TV show that they're going to broadcast on Halloween from Stonehenge, weirdly, um, but it's, it's set in America. But uh, when it comes to Halloween, a certain point on on Halloween night, uh, Stonehenge undergoes some sort of mad, like celestial transformation, and beams this energy to the satellite, which distributes signal to all these houses in America, and all these kids get eaten by their masks. <laughs> and sorry for the spoilers, but it's not it's not even worth watching. Don't if you if if you've never seen it don't change that um, it's uh, <laughs> it's terrible but um, it, it's sort of there's you know that that sort of theme of um, of uh, television signal creating this uh, um, creating this illusion or creating this like chaos mm-hmm. is, uh, is is similar but it's yeah no they live is way above that it's way way above that yeah so you were, I mean if if it, if you'd found out that Carpenter had I, I, I wouldn't have been um, you maybe would have thought well I mean that's where I got the inspiration for that yeah, from yeah know? it's it's probably I mean it, it is, TV as a, as an evil is a much broader theme than, than they live yeah. anyway yeah. a much broader theme than Carpenter yeah. but um, it does tie in to a certain extent yeah. but only I, to a certain extent I think like on a kind of quite a wide general level they live is kind of is a lot like Carpenter's other films kind of structurally because Carpenter's films are about um, his protagonists are usually kind of isolated. Yeah. You think about the yeah. thing or you think about Halloween. His protagonists are isolated and they're kind of Even fighting against them. Escape from New York as well. Yeah, Escape from New York. They're yeah, fighting yeah, against yeah. like an unknown uh, assault in Precinct 13. They're yeah. all trapped in the police, police mm-hmm. thing. And um, they have to kind of find out who is killing them or what what's killing them and yeah. more often than not it's your next door neighbor it's your mate mm. in the, in the thing anyone any one of them could be the thing yeah. in halloween it's that whole kind of suburban everyone thinks suburbia is safe but it's not actually assault in precinct 13 it's these kind of bandits you don't know who they are and then mm. obviously in they live it's the same thing it's it's your next door neighbor it's your boss it's your you know, it seems to be like an overarching kind of like you know yeah. bad guy. It's not just well apart from Halloween, but like the rest of them. It seems to be it could be a group of people or like to yeah. get to. Kind of yeah. Thing. Um, Actually, I suppose in Halloween as well. I mean, this is this is maybe slightly tenuous, but the fact that it's a William Shatner mask is mm. uh, you know that's TV is killing you like you know. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, um, and uh, yeah, that notion of the boogeyman as well in in Halloween obviously comes from kind of yeah. You know, culture and yeah. stories mm-hmm. and things like that. Assuming you use William Shatner because Star Trek's one of the more sort of well, one of the yeah. better term enlightened. <laughs> I know, yeah, it is. Um, but I, I suppose it probably just fit the fit the bill. I think it was maybe uh, somebody somebody cut the eyes out and was like, "Look how fucking creepy this is." That kind of brings us on nicely to Holly, um, who's played by Meg Foster, because apparently she. 
was in a Star Trek Deep, Deep Space, Space Nine. Nine. Yeah, oh, it was yeah. the Muse episode, which I think I watched like not too long ago. She... Did you recognize her, or do you know I who she is? I recognized her because of the eyes, but I don't think I actually connected it. It was one of those ones, I know her. Yeah. And then yeah. didn't bother to look it up, and then... Yeah. When I was watching this back recently, went on Wikipedia and went, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> does she have that weird accent? In... Yeah, she does. Yeah. It's, she... Um, like, it's a weird yeah. episode. Like, she's like this weird alien. And just because of the makeup, you think they're contact lenses as well. Yeah. Obviously not. <laughs> yeah. Um, her eyes and her features are really, really distinctive. Yeah, yeah I, they are. Yeah. I don't actually find her partic- particularly attractive. No, it's, it's just, like... Just I think she's quite good looking though. Right. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a... Like an exemplary beauty, but yeah, not, uh, I don't know. Um, but when I, I read, I found out that she was in two episodes of Murder She Wrote. Oh, really? And as soon as I found that out, I was just thinking, she looks like someone you'd see in Bloody Murder She Wrote, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah, she really does. She has that was face. She the bad guy or bad woman? I, I don't know, but apparently she was in one an, epi- an, an episode in 1985, and then appeared in an episode in 1996. <laughs> completely <laughs> separate characters, completely separate yeah. storylines. In Deep Space Nine, anyway, she was like this sort of. Uh, she seduced the guy Jake Sisko, who's Captain Sisko's son, because uh, he was like a poet or whatever, and sapped his energy out of him. That was how right. she survived as a you know alien. Yeah, right. by sapping energy out of people, right? <laughs> who were artists, I guess. <laughs> but her um, character in They Live is interesting because. Um, she is, I think, she's she's the first character we come across who's human but has a good life. Yeah. yeah. Every other human we come across is either a cop or a homeless person or, you know, owns a newspaper stall on the street. She's mm. the first human we come across who has a good life, a car, a house, nice big TV. Yeah, but she is... She's obviously in the in the pocket of... She's obviously yeah. an employee of the aliens. She's so. an informer. She's trying to infiltrate yeah. the resistance. So, for, for first-time viewers is... For observe, particularly observant first-time viewers, is that a wee kind of, you know, every single human you've seen so far has either been a cop or a poor person. Yeah. Now all of a sudden we've got a rich human. I yeah. We should be suspicious of her. I I I don't know why uh, Nada wasn't suspicious of her. Yeah. Um, when okay, first when he took her hostage, that's that's fine. Uh. It's not fine, but uh, he takes hostage, <laughs> and you know he's no reason fine. to be suspicious of her. But when she like throws him out the window, she like what well, bottles him and throws him out the window. <laughs> yeah, then you would be suspicious. But and then she turns up as you know as part of the resistance. Mm-hmm. Why, if she was part of the resistance herself, why wouldn't she say, "Hey, I'm on your side"? You know, he's he's saying all this stuff to her that is yeah. obviously what's going on. She's obviously in the know. When he realizes that she was in the know, why doesn't he go, "Hey, this"? This girl's this girl's an informer. This girl's a spy. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Why does he just go? Oh, it's you. Uh, nice to see you again. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, no hard feelings. You know. Um, and did she not say something like, you know, oh, sorry, I thought it killed you, kind of thing? And yeah. Yeah, she does. She does. she does. But. You know, why would she? If she, uh, why would she do that in the first place? He doesn't question her motives. Of, no. Of kicking him out a window, you know. She yeah. Does. But it was to like kind of try and like fit the narrative um, of the film. It's like, well, she's been taken hostage by this madman. Yeah, <laughs> but she she would think he's a madman if she wasn't a resistance member, because all the stuff he's saying sounds mad. But if she was a resistance member, then all the stuff he's saying should make sense to her. You know? Well, there's yeah. the whole thing of yeah, 
she's uh, taking hostage by him or whatever, and she's, or at the time, he's trying to get her to put on the glasses, and she says something like, you know, okay, I'll put them on, but uh, I'll see whatever you want me to see anyway, so... Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But then before she even tries to put them on or whatever, like, knocks them at the window and then... Yeah. The place. But I think there's one crucial thing is the glasses are left behind. Yeah. Like, in, in her flat. Okay. So there's the yeah. possible argument there, especially, at least in his mind anyway, the glasses have been left behind. That she That's then, a good point. Yeah. That yeah. she has, has since become... Yeah. So that was yeah. my kind of understanding of possibly why she has an excuse for showing up there you know their mind was opened after that yeah okay mm. yeah but at the same and time in our view she could still be she could have always been part of that well that's I, mean, a good point. I think it yeah. is implied that she is, has always been part of it because she has a comfortable life yeah she's got a good job she, i mean she, she works for cable 54 sure yeah but so but his understanding of the world so far and his short experience is uh, anyone who's an alien is bad yeah mm-hmm. and he, he'll only kill them oh, that's right he didn't even have that jump yeah, so even the police yeah. like for him it's like even if he discovers a human one he won't kill them yeah, just, yeah true but it's, it's interesting like w- when we're kind of re reintroduced to her it's at that meeting that he goes that he and Frank go to after he's kind of made Frank put on the glasses and they kind of they're, they're suspecting that the signal is coming from cable 54 mm-hmm. and she shouts out cable 54 is clean yeah, which it obviously isn't. She's trying to kind of put them off the scent. She realizes that they're on the scent, under the scent. She's kind of, mm-hmm. kind of trying to go. No, no, I've checked it out. Kilo fifty four is grand. It's definitely not coming from there. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and then at that point, <laughs> which is, uh, obviously just sounds immediately suspicious. Yeah. Oh no no no! Can, can we no. see the evidence, please? <laughs> How did, you, how did you find this out? Don't, don't pay attention to Cable 54, yeah. that's grand. I work there. That's why. <laughs> I wonder does 54 have some sort of. Um, some sort of like yeah. relevance. I don't know. Um, Is there some reason why it's Cable 54? Studio 54? That's mm. where all the hot, hot guys and gals hang out. I'm not too sure. I, I know, know there's one bit, uh, I think it's towards the end of the film anyway, um, that shows like when they've broken the signal, and you see different TV programs, like there's one in a bar that every people are watching it, but yeah. uh, it's the two critics, like Roger Ebert is one of them, isn't he? And yeah. S- Siskel. Siskel. Siskel yeah. and Ebert. And they're complaining about too much violence. And yeah, and they're complaining about John Carpenter. And yeah. George, and George Romero. And Romero. And Romero, that's right. Um, I quite like that, the way they're made out to be like aliens. Or yeah. yeah, yeah. Although they, I mean, they famously criticised a lot of slasher films, but apparently yeah. they, they do actually like, they did actually like Night of the Living Dead, and they did actually like Dawn of the Dead, and they actually liked Toby Hooper's Funhouse. I, I think yeah. I thought I I read somewhere that they John Carpenter. No, I, I read somewhere that they didn't like Night of the Living Dead. They like tore apart Night of the Living Dead. Maybe I'm thinking of um, hmm. maybe I'm thinking of Return of the Living Dead. Maybe it's Dawn of the Dead that they did that, that they did like, and they didn't like Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, but maybe violence. Like, and yeah, it's that kind of thing. But um, in interestingly, um, I'm probably talk about this if we ever cover Friday the Thirteenth. But they they, hate, they hated Friday the Thirteenth, and you know Betsy Palmer who plays Pamela, Pamela Voorhees, Jason Voorhees' yeah. mum. Uh-huh. Um, she she apparently was kind of like a quite a famous respected actor, yeah. and then towards the end of her career did Friday the Thirteenth, and one of them it might have been your man Siskel, he uh, actually wrote a really bad review and spoiled the end of Friday the Thirteenth in order to basically say right that's oh, the yeah. ending spoil don't go and see it, and he also said. This is Betsy Palmer's P PO box address. He didn't. Serious. It's kind of there's <laughs> people get the rumor wrong that he actually gave gave her home address. He didn't, but yeah. he gave her PO box address and said fill her letterbox with <laughs> with with mail telling her why she shouldn't have degraded herself by doing a, such a horrible film as Friday the Thirteenth, which is obviously now 
regarded as a turning point in the horror genre. And <laughs> it is, yeah. In his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> I love Friday the 13th. I, um, do think we will definitely cover it. We will definitely do the Friday the 13th. And Friday the 13th part 2 and part 3 and part 4 and part 5. Really? Yeah, part part 6 part and part <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not Jason X. <laughs> well, if, if we if, if we do this every two weeks, we'll soon run out. We'll, sooner or later, we're going <laughs> yeah. to do Jason X. Yeah. <laughs> a cheerleader wrapped around a tree in a sleeping bag. <laughs> no, actually, yes, you're right. I'm kind of consulting my notes here. Um, yes, your man Siskel wrote a really bad review of Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Dead, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But, yeah... Uh, uh, one of the things I was kind of um, wanting to touch upon was the uh, preacher, the okay. preacher at the start of the at the start of the film, uh, because he kind of comes in and when, whenever uh, Nada kind of arrives, actually we, we haven't even said that uh, Nada means nothing in Spanish, and that's yeah, the yeah, whole point. But um, he's kind of like a, a no one really, isn't he? Yeah. Like Arthur um, Miller's Henry Loman. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. that kind of thing, isn't it? But, well, that's like I, I'm pretty sure that's one of the things Zizek mentions. Like certainly when he mm-hmm. talks about it, that Nada yeah. means nothing in Spanish. Mm-hmm. But I don't think like I necessarily agree with his assessment of that character because he says he's like the sort of sublime subject that like doesn't have any like he's not been imprinted upon or anything. Mm. But he has been. Oh, he but he, has he been, definitely yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like he's got this sort of well working class mentality, and like, he even says it. Like we've touched on this before that once he gets you know the the break that he's been working for you know yeah he believes in the american dream yeah yeah um, so I, I don't think there is an untouched subject there yeah he's but he's kind of met with um he kind of rolls off the train and all all around him you can see that there's there's kind of something not quite right it's quite it's, it's the the film opens quite with kind of kind of like an, an uh, ominous tone there's um lots of homeless people everywhere who apparently were actually homeless um, okay. Carpenter apparently hired actual homeless people, paid them and fed them, which is kind of quite a nice thing to do. But then, yeah. obviously, once filming was over, what then? What then happened? <laughs> Come to live with me. Yeah, <laughs> but that I mean that that's I mean um, Fulci did that. Um, you know the Beyond. Yeah. At the end of the Beyond, whenever they go into the when they end up in hell, all the mm. kind of corpses lying on the ground there, homeless people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think. Cannibal, cannibal Holocaust, I think, might have real, not real cannibals, but real tribes people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or am I thinking maybe of uh, Fitzcarraldo? Real, maybe both. Who knows? No, I think uh, in uh, Cannibal Holocaust, it's, um, but it's not that we're watching the natives behave as they do. It's that no, yeah, the exactly, natives are yeah. being paid to act in a certain yeah, way, obviously. That's, that's the point, yeah. Yeah. But he, you could probably think homeless people are cannibals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe uh, you could should use cannibal holocaust as one of their uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. emotional. <laughs> this is Romania. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming over here. <laughs> they, they, they pit women on spikes. Um, but yeah, so he he comes across this preacher, and in the commentary. Uh, Carpenter actually uh, kind of says it's almost a bit like Macbeth. Yeah. It's like the opening of Macbeth. Yeah, like yeah. the witches. Okay, There's this yeah. kind of um, sinister proclamation, mm. you know. And it's it, it's brilliant. It, it's actually very very rousing. The preacher's speech whenever he's kind of at the end, he's like, "Yeah, you know, they're all around you. Mm. They're everywhere." It's yeah. kind of a really really. Um, 
it's 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 sort of like a like a an unpoetic Woody Guthrie song or something. Yeah, you know the, the thing that stands out for me when the preacher's giving the speech in the park anyway is when the police pull up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think that's the major thing for me. Like, exactly, and you don't see what happens, but um, yeah. you don't see or, what happens, but you yeah, you guess what's going to happen. You guess what's going to happen, um, and also you kind of think that even in the most kind of corrupt, you know, capitalist consumerist, you know, the police are completely utterly in the ha- in the pockets of you know the state and all that kind of stuff. You think even in that situation, surely Christianity is left alone. Christianity can still do its thing, but in they mm-hmm. live even though he's supposedly a preacher, hmm. the, yeah. the cops have absolutely no no respect for him. Yeah, because you, you, you do imagine in America that, well, actually, you, you don't need to imagine, but in America, Christianity is the sort of... Uh, seems like it's sort of aligned with the, with authority, you know? It's, yeah. Uh, I I it is. It's I the unspoken it's, official religion. Yeah, it? yeah. Um, but I don't think it's aligned with capital anymore. Like, no, it's not. It's not... Um, I think capital finds markets like uh, and markets don't really fit. You know, yeah, maybe the and dominant, you know, well, narrative of what what it is the rule like you know, of yeah. what is the prevailing culture anyway like. And you do see that now with the kind of a lot of people have um, a lot of kind of church leaders have kind of joined forces to kind of um, protest against like the conservative austerity yeah. policies yeah. and. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose then it's maybe. I mean, the fact that things, that the idea that the aliens have been present for, maybe only as long as TVs have been present, you know, um, mm. or TVs have been prevalent. So maybe for about forty. Well, well at that time, actually, from nineteen eighty eight, maybe about, twenty or thirty years. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, like that's that's obviously like. It may be talking about the secularization of uh, of the world due to capitalism. You know, it's, yeah. um, as as capitalism has increased, the world has become more secularized, which arguably is is a good thing. Um, mm. But uh, it may not be a good thing for the reasons that you that you, you think. Know, think. No, yeah. Whenever Nada and Frank check into the hotel room, um, just after Frank's kind of found out, uh, I think it's Frank. They're kind of sitting on the bed drinking. And Frank says, you know, maybe, maybe they've always been here. Yeah. And it is at that point that you kind of go, actually, yeah, what, what is the film saying? Is the film saying we've always been under the influence? Yeah. But, but I think I think no, because whenever you watch the uh, leader's speech, you know, when they're at the underground bunker, the leader says something like, we project by 2025 that all of America and indeed all of the world yeah. will be under our dominion. So the implication is that so far it's only really America and the West but eventually, eventually we will have... Yeah. The, they don't yet have yeah. the whole world, but why, they will. Why? Uh, yeah, the weird thing about it is why don't like people in Northern Ireland in the 80s watching American TV see these people for what they are, see these aliens for what they are? Um, if they aren't under the influence of this, um, mm. this sort of weird ray. Also, yeah. why, <laughs> why do they concentrate all their power in this one satellite? Which... Um, <laughs> Should, should we give away the ending of the... We yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, if anybody hasn't seen this, stop now. But uh, at the <laughs> end, uh, Nada um, goes up on the roof. Uh, Frank is right behind him, along with... Uh, Holly. Holly. And Holly uh, shoots Frank in the head, unbeknownst to Nada, um, giving away her... Showing her true colours. Um, 
Frank goes up and she tries to stop him, but or Nada goes up to the roof. He, she tries to stop him, but he destroys the satellite anyway, and then all is revealed to everyone. Yeah. In America, the TV TV stations are still still running, and people see all the aliens for what they are. But um, yeah, that's that's it. Their dominion is at an end. Surely this will yeah. this will cause re- revolution. Mm-hmm. Although we don't see that happen, but yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, the, the the film kind of ends, and you're kind of spo- you you're kind of left wondering, right? Well, there's about to be a war then. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. true. Um, but I I love where Nada's character. He shows he's absolutely no regrets about dying. No, the exactly, last thing yeah. he does is give give the finger. <laughs> yeah, that's to, right. Uh, yeah, to the cops. I'd actually I forgot that happened. Yeah, but was it? I think that kind of narrative fits into sort of general ideology of uh, well various terrorist movement. Well. Don't like to call them terrorists all the time, but for the most part, they are. Like you know, whether yeah. it's well, whether it's the IRA or Al Qaeda or blah blah blah, various numbers of terrorist organizations around the world. The fact that you can wake people up by you know, doing some big massive like spectacle. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It, it all, almost feeds that, which is probably quite dangerous in a way. Yeah. You know, but uh, no, it is. Um, like, um, there, there's some good examples out there, especially of like uh, various like. Well, groups like Al Qaeda, where you can, well, it's not like a, a group you can pinpoint, but there's various sections of it where they think by doing one certain thing, yeah, you'll wake up the public, but then they yeah. sort of like insulate themselves as well by saying they're not the real Muslims, we're the yeah, real Muslims, yeah. True. and we need to wake them up as well. Yeah, mm. it's like when the, the London attacks happened and they bought yeah. the tube stations, but they did one bus to make a something that they pick, the newspapers to yeah. take pictures of, you know, mm. make it spectacular. And it also comes back to that point of where, like, your man Nada thinks it's grand to kill people that are aliens. So anyone that's not inclusive to his movement is, yeah. Like, I think at the end, anyway, they're grand to be like uh, slaughtered essentially, because he does kill Holly. Yeah. Once it's, and then at the end, he obviously considers that his life is also something that can be given up as well. Mm. Yeah. In, it's, in the grand scheme of things, it's mm. all all in extremes. It's extremists fighting extremists. <laughs> Absolutely. What with, with with actually, it, it's actually it, it's sort of a, a almost a disturbing message because it, it is extremists fighting extremists with a goal that is achieved, you know, and a goal which is for seems to be for the ultimate yeah. good. But I mean, has there ever really been an example in history of an extremist achieving a goal that is for the ultimate good? I don't, I don't, I don't think there has. You know, probably not. Know. But um, that's what I like about it as well. Though especially the there's the speech by that leader underground, who says you know we have achieved this goal or whatever of getting rid of the terrorist cell. Yeah, um, yeah. But he just reminds me so much of someone like like uh, Tony Blair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who, like would probably disassociate himself from any ideology. Yeah, yeah. Or I don't belong to a movement. At the time, um, probably Thatcher. You know, it's. Uh... And it happened in a different country, in a different yeah. part of the world, in a different yeah. circumstance. Mm-hmm. But um, that's the, the rhetoric that. Yeah. Actually, no, not even that year. 1988, no. When? Yeah, Tories, <laughs> won, their, Tories won their second general election but, in 1983, so 1987. But she was always. Yeah, it must have been major by then. Major. But yeah, <laughs> similar. You would have heard uh, Carpenter would have been familiar with the. Yeah, probably well, would have been. It's uh, Reagan. That, it's uh, Reagan is um, yeah. Carpenter's kind yeah. of. Yeah, and I suppose yeah, with the uh, Reagan would have been talking about the Contras and 
Yeah, and you would have had like Milton Friedman behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, trickle down is the only way to go. Yeah, I mean, you could talk about this this film and in terms of you know subliminal advertising, you know, uh, corrupt policing, uh, in you know, uh, kind of biased policing, corrupt politicians, you know, violence against the poor. Yeah, you know, this uh, it's, it's it's this pre predated Rodney King, didn't it? I think I think yeah. Rodney King was the early nineties, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, yeah, that would have been all, all very prevalent. It's yeah. a great film. But that's the one thing I don't like about it. Like, but I like about it at the same time. But I don't like about it is it fits in very easily with like uh, conspiratorial theories. It yeah. does. Yeah. The whole thing, like why we were talking about earlier with David Icke and stuff. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas these people won't acknowledge that it's a natural consequence of things happening in history. Yeah. They see it as a sort of yeah. an overarching conspiracy. Exactly. Yeah. Pe- people who, who want to uh, people who want to find problems with society, but don't want to address the actual painful yeah. problems that are too too difficult to address, will find yeah find overarching problems they can't really deal with. Yeah, know? absolutely. Comes like an excuse, like Alex Jones and like <laughs> it's, like it's too painful and frustrating to admit that the problem is humans, so it's easier to think we're we're being infiltrated by alien yeah. lizards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which we definitely are. Which, well, <laughs> which we yeah, definitely I mean, are. Obviously. <laughs> if you listen to this and you're in any doubt as to what we believe, we definitely believe that you're being, we're being infiltrated by aliens. <laughs> and Beyonce is the worst one. <laughs> Beyonce is a bitch. <laughs> um, I think that's probably why Solange attacked Jay-Z. <laughs> probably. She realised the truth. She, she got the, gla- the sunglasses. She fucking knows. Uh, another way in which the film is prophetic is with the um, kind of the notion of drones, un- unmanned yeah, robots. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, that, that, that happens in um, <coughs> once he comes out of the uh, bank and he sees the kind of... It's a throwback, you know... Uh, Carpenter loved uh, the kind of hard hawks, you know, sci-fi movies from the fifties, um, and uh, uh, it's that kind of you know silver disc that comes and he goes, "Hello there, little fella. Yeah. <laughs> come to tell me where they are, or come to tell them where I am. Not nice." He yeah he uh, he. Um, I was trying to find the exact quote there, but I can't I can't find it. But oh yeah, and who are you, little fella? Come to show them where I am, huh? Not nice. <laughs> That's. Uh, <laughs> But the interesting thing about that is that um, whenever whenever he blo- whenever he shoots it, it explodes. Yeah. And he's he kind of sh- yeah. he's shielding himself from the shrapnel. But uh-huh. whenever it cuts to not a POV, whenever it cuts to showing him, he's kind of shielding himself, and there's nothing there. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, you know, whenever whenever you look at a billboard and it says "Obey" rather than you know "Drink Coca Cola," or you look at a man and he's got an alien face, but when there's nothing there, and the glasses are showing you. That there is something there, and the glasses, you know, because there's there's something uh, physical there. There's the yeah, shrapnel okay. that's falling, but yeah. it, it doesn't exist outside the glasses. Well, I was yeah. kind of thinking that as well. Yeah, and it's, there's true. a bit at the end. Well, it ties into two bits. Like so, there's a bit at the start of the film where uh, I think it's like when Roddy Piper goes into the church and stumbles across all these things, and then the the blind preacher comes in and yeah. then feels his hands and his face. He's obviously checking to see if yeah. he's a human. But then yeah. at the end of the film, which is probably the problem with this, or shows the problem in it, there's a bit where, like, this is at the very end, where uh, the signal's been cut off and everything, but there's a bit where it shows you a woman having sex with someone. Yeah. 
and then all of a sudden she realizes she's having sex with an alien. Yeah. Yeah. But like people in intimate si- uh, situations will probably feel in someone's face. Yeah, at some true. Stage go, yeah. That doesn't feel like how it looks. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, uh, or but other blind people would probably. But no, you're like people oh, but, touch. You know, people's bodies and like. Yeah, sure, like, yeah but go, you, that does that. That feels rough, but it doesn't. Oh, I see what that. you mean. Yes, because because. If the glasses are able to, yeah, yeah, and I, like who knows if their mean. faces are sticky and slimy. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like burnt limes. They are yeah, burnt, weird. Yeah, burnt limes. <laughs> like burnt limes. Exactly. I mean, that's that's the best description. But it is weird, and kind of what we haven't really touched upon is what the glasses actually show you, because Carpenter's chosen to make the gla- what the glasses show you black and white. Yeah, you know, but before, before Nada sees anything, the first thing he sees is that the glasses are black and white, and that's the first thing that confuses him. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the actually the the weird thing, but I, actually I think Jacek sort of points this out a little bit. Um, the the weird thing is that you're actually putting something on to see the reality instead of taking yeah. something off. You know, I deserve And obviously, it's it's probably more a, that's surely a narrative device. You know, but yeah, but actually, could there be the um, could it be the possibility that it's like a, have you ever seen a, that that. Uh, it might be Twilight Zone or the Limits um, thing where they, they put on goggles and they, they're able to see the enemy and they uh, shoot this alien enemy. No. But then they take off the goggles and it turns out they're just shooting other people. And then, Whoa. So, yeah, <laughs> there could be something something to that as well, you know, like the, the goggles show, the glasses show what isn't real, but uh, yeah. you cut the other way. But yeah. it probably, I don't think that's meant to be the point of it at all, you know. Well, the, the notion but, of notion of seeing... Is really yeah. is really uh, important in the film. Yeah, yeah. So, like weirdly, parts that remind me of. Um, have you seen the, the Kubrick film? I've forgotten the name of it now. It's it's the war one. Full Metal Jacket. No, no. It's a like a Second World War or sorry, First World War. Um, no. Uh, oh. It's when they the try to give them the order to go for the hill and you know attack the the Germans at the time. Right. Right. But basically, a lot of them go like I'm not going to do that or like loads of them are scared but the yeah. general at the time is like oh, well no you have to and then because a lot of them don't gives an order to fire on his own trips yeah yeah. and then there's a whole big court martial thing about it but the general is like oh well I gave them the order and they were all cards or whatever yeah yeah. Um, but it doesn't come up because he's the general that you know he gave the order to fire on his own trips so the, the ones that he he's brought the court martial and what they get well, they get hung in the end, I think. Oh, sorry, no, they get shot because they're the only ones brought. Nobody's going to bring him to court martial. No. Because he's. Because <laughs> yeah. the, the only truth that happened was his truth. Mm. I don't know that film at all. That sounds, that sounds horrible. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a pretty harrowing cool. film, yeah. It's one of his earlier. It's very yeah. early in his career. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's like kind of Hitchcock. It's like. Um, you think he's maybe only done about 10 or 20 yeah, films yeah. because you knew, only know the famous ones and when you yeah. work out how many films he has done and how many you've never heard of it's just it's even more mind blowing it's a particularly good one though yeah. I'll have to I'll have to have you ever, I don't know if you've ever seen The Trouble with Harry the Kubrick film that is, it's brilliant it's no. uh, pretty funny really like really black humour they find a body and then just try to hide a, hide a body from from uh, the police, like, but uh, it's a, this wee village. It's like it's sort of like whiskey galore a little bit, you know. <laughs> but instead of trying to whiskey, trying to hide a body. But anyway, that's all, that's off the subject. But it's one of the, one of those lesser known Hitchcock films. That's just brilliant. Like, um, I think I mean it's uh, also worth worth um, each of us kind of saying 
whether or not we think They Live is a good film, how we can yeah. even enjoy yeah. it, Paul. I mean, if you don't, if you met someone at a bus stop and they said, "Have you ever seen John Carpenter's They Live?" I've never seen it. What's it like? I would say uh, it is a very intelligent film. It's a very. I probably wouldn't phrase it like I said at a bus stop because uh, <laughs> if somebody asked me at a bus stop, you go, "Yeah, it's brilliant." I'd probably edge away. Uh, <laughs> probably put my headphones in and just start walking. Uh, but. Um, <laughs> It's uh, it is an intelligent film, and it's uh, it, it deals with uh, it deals with a lot of a lot more issues than I think we've even been able to uh, discuss tonight, or it deals with them deals with a few issues in, in a lot more depth than you know you can really really discuss in a conversation. But um, it it does handle them in a very clumsy way at times, but that's entertaining as well. Um, but the as we talked about earlier, the pacings off uh, characterization is a little bit is a little bit jumpy at times. But uh, overall, it's a very enjoyable film, and it's been very good good fun talking about it. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, D. Uh, yeah, I, I sort of I would agree with Paul for the most part. Like, uh, but at the same time, I would say it's for Hollywood. It's uh, it's amazing what they get away with. In terms of you never really see like left wing uh, politics in Hollywood that much or that often, and I think it's one of the rare examples of it. You you can see like it, it exists in other films. Like, I think like maybe one comparison's probably The Matrix, but this is like you know a sort of an earlier version of it. Like um, you don't really see it that often. Um, that's why it's one of my favorite films, especially within Hollywood. That uh, like left wing politics are even considered, which they don't. They get brought up sometimes, but I think it's more closer to uh, libertarianism in the Hollywood mm-hmm. idea. Of, well, yeah. the American idea of like freedom. Yeah, like, that Actually, gets brought up in a lot of action films and stuff. But I, I think this is the closest one to anything in the sense of mm-hmm. anti-capitalism. Especially nowadays, when when yeah. left-wing politics does sort of rear any sort of even subtle head in uh, in Hollywood, it gets gets absolutely destroyed by mm. right wing press like yeah. Mupp- Muppets of all things is like is really upset yeah Fox you know uh, mm-hmm. Frozen Frozen really I've heard of that which like is a, uh, the argument I haven't seen Frozen but the argument gay propaganda yeah I haven't seen it at all I've apparently, no apparently promotes incest and things yeah I've, I've, I've <laughs> no idea what that means I'm almost certain but, uh, it doesn't but <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm almost certain that children's film set in Christmas time <laughs> isn't actually encouraging children to be incestuous homosexuals. No. <laughs> Pretty certain. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, you were saying about The Matrix there. The thing about The Matrix is that, yes, you you can do left-wing Orwellian satirical readings into The Matrix, and you can, mm. you can even introduce kind of Lacanian readings into The Matrix and say, you know, this is the culture, this is the real, this is what we... But in they live it's it's explicitly it's explicitly expressed those ideas are explicitly expressed the the narrative of they live is uh, rich people control everything and they yeah. keep the poor sedated and selfish through tv and advertising whereas in the matrix it's just you know yeah. it's you can do a reading into it but in, yeah. in they live it's explicit it, it, it's explicitly and stated that was a lot more acceptable in the 80s as well in cinema because I think I think that was almost expected of, of cinema in the eighties. I mean, like when, even like when I watch kids' movies in the eighties. Yeah. Um, 
they were almost always anti-capitalist. The yeah. bad guys were always big corporations. <laughs> yeah. Um, like the BMX kid. Is that a movie? Or a BMX guy? I think it's BMX Bandits? kid. BMX Bandits. Bandits. Yeah, yeah. Um, blank Check is another one. Yeah. You know, like some kid gets a blank check and then he fights all these rich guys. Um, those kind of... Richie Rich. Christian Slater kind of rebel films. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Or, yeah. Or even like Robocop. Yeah, yeah, Robocop, Robocop exactly. Yeah, yeah. also Bill and Ted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's it's interesting because you see like the the, the remake of uh, Total Recall. I mean, to, Total yeah. Recall is is a bit of a kind of lefty film, isn't it? Really, it is. Yeah. We didn't left. I didn't think the remake was that bad though. In that oh, was sense, it not? So. Have you seen it? No, I it's, watched it on a plane and it made no sense. I watched, I watched it on a, a Malaysian Airlines plane, so they cut out any bits that were offensive. So it was. Uh, not really it's, bizarre. It's not as good. It's never going to be as good, and it's not even that good in the sense of a new film, like yeah. that you want to see. But it still maintains the sort of vibe of okay, anti-capitalist of it. Yeah. Like the whole, I think they change it. Like because you don't go to Mars, you go to like the other side of the planet. Right. So you go, you go through, through the center, center of the, of the planet. Yeah. yeah. But it's about like impoverished workers having to go to another place to get jobs. Yeah. Okay, so they do kind of keep it, right? Yeah, okay. they keep it. But, but I think at the same time, it's still not great. Like, I think yeah, like, yeah. like in the remake of Robocop, apparently it's not as not as good, and also um, they're remaking 1984. Are they? But apparently yeah. it's going to focus mostly on the love story and have less of the kind of, you know... So but then, see, reading yeah. the book, though, as well, like, I don't want to go off on a massive tangent about this, but I think it is a love story as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... It, it's it is, like, yeah. it is, but it's, it's a broken love story. It's a love story. Oh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a horrible love story. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine that this will have a happy ending, that love will triumph instead of, instead of you know, <laughs> Yeah. But my, my tuppence uh, on They Live is... Um, I kind of look, look at it as a film from my childhood... Um, I watched the first with my Uncle Michael and then and we kind of one of those films that we always remembered watching as kids and then one birthday my brother got it me for me on VHS and we watched it and I brought it to uni and I remember watching it um, and it was just one of those films that always kind of stuck with me and I think the kind of anti-capitalist and anti-kind of consumerist message was always there but I think specifically watching it this time it kind of um, resonated a bit more with me Um as we've kind of as we as we've kind of said, I think it resonates more with you the older you get because the mm. more fucking fed up you get with you know how people are and how everything works. Um, I think in terms of a John Carpenter film, uh, I would watch Halloween or The Thing. Maybe even The Fog. Before I would watch They Live, but in terms of film as a whole. And horror films as a whole, I think They Live is up there. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I think Keith David is brilliant as uh, mm. Frank Armitage, and uh, Childs is my fa- my favorite character from the thing, even even more so than Kurt Russell's um, R. J. McCready. Um, I think he's brilliant, uh, and I think uh, Roddy Piper is amazing in it. Uh, I think it just works. I don't think Kurt Russell could have possibly given the film. Um, as Carpenter says, um, the the entire film rests upon Roddy Piper's shoulders. I think, despite the fact big shoulders, <laughs> yeah, exactly, big Canadian shoulders, <laughs> Scottish. Um, I th- yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, uh, despite the fact that, um, despite the fact that he's not necessarily a good actor, I think he carries it, and I think it's it's brilliant. And I think it's 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 one of those films where um, the kind of anti-capitalist message is explicit enough that you can guarantee that a few people will, will watch it and that their their eyes might be open for the first time 
I think they live or around. dimmed. Or dimmed. Sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think uh, they live is its own sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. It's the most complex metaphor right? yeah. in, in 80s cinema. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. They live. They live. Anything they else to say about they live? Uh, yeah, I they live. I think we've summed it up. <laughs> I think we have sleep. summed it up. Yeah. Um, so, next time, I think we're... We were talk. We're debating. We were debating between zombie flesh eaters, which is a beauty of a zombie movie. Yep. Or tourist trap, which is a beauty of a slasher movie. But yep. I think I think I'm gonna make a decision right now, and I'm gonna go tourist trap. We are going for tourist trap. Cool. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> if you <laughs> haven't watched tourist trap, watch it now. You can. Yeah. It'll blow your minds. It'll. Uh, um. Uh, Paul and I were talking about this earlier on. Um, it's sh- it should be on YouTube. Um, should just be able to Google or YouTube um, search uh, tourist trap film movie. Um, but uh, if you haven't seen it, um, it is perhaps one of the best slasher films. I think uh, it's a phenomenally phenomenally good film. It's genuinely scary. Right balance, right balance of humour. I think. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's, it's kind of it's. Hit- Elements of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in there yeah, as well. Yeah, there are, yeah. And there's a little bit of uh, paranormal stuff about it. There's a little bit of surrealism about it. It's, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's ultimately a very strange slasher movie. It's not your it's not your canon turn up on an island and, or turn up on a lake and get slaughtered. It's, yeah. Uh, although it is essentially that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's essentially teens, a group of teens... Uh, in a kind of unfamiliar territory getting picked off one by one in that sense it's a typical slasher film but in terms of not many slasher films kind of went to the uh, supernatural angle and this is kind of this is this has kind of telekinesis and wax models and all sorts of weird things going on all sorts of weird shit so we've we've had to look forward to you next time definitely Um, watch it on YouTube or actually preferably buy it um I'm yeah, sure, actually, sure the, yeah, we should, sure the we should, studio who made it, whoever the hell they are, would we should, we should probably prefer us to, to say to buy it. I'm going to buy it, as are all of us. <laughs> yeah, I've, I I don't own it, so I will buy it. We'll all buy it. We'll all you buy it. Well, I'll probably borrow it off. And <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay double for D. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's about time to kind of say... Cheers, thanks for listening. Uh, I've been Ian Todd. Um, you guys want to do your own wee uh, goodbyes? Yeah, yeah, I've been Dave. I've been Paul. And uh, yeah, this was Won't Stay Dead. Uh, thanks for listening. If indeed ever, anyone is, uh, be sure to tune in next time. And don't forget, uh, they live, we sleep. Don't take up arms. <laughs>